Support for Boston Public Radio comes from the Simmons Leadership Conference, Wednesday, April 3rd, in person and online. A day of inspiration, skill building, and networking, featuring Trevor Noah, Gloria Steinem, and Padma Lakshmi. Inclusiveleadership.com. I'm Jim Browdy, head on Boston Public Radio, live from the Boston Public Library. We're starting today's show with you, opening phone and text lines. As we wind down 2023, we're taking stock of the past 12 months. What political moment will most stay with you? Trump indictments, Giuliani disgraces, pro-abortion votes, and if not politics, what is it? The Titan submersible, Taylor Swift, and what's your major prediction for 2024? A return to sanity and democracy? Okay, let's be realistic. You can call or text. And I'm Sue O'Connell. I'm in for Marjorie Egan today. Then it's Live Music Friday with the fabulous Celtic folk group Scottish Fish. They're celebrating more than a decade making music together, despite the fact that the members are just about 24 years old. And their annual holiday show is tonight at Club Placim. But you can catch them right here at the Boston Public Library if you want to come down early. All of that and much more ahead on Boston Public Radio 89.7 GBH. You're listening to Boston Public Radio. I am Jim Browdy. I'm sure you all predicted Marjorie Egan is in Christmas panic, <laughs> so obviously she has the day off. Sitting in is local woman who, on the side, is at NBC uh, Boston out mm-hmm. there. That'd be Sue O'Connell. How are you, Sue? I'm well. Not all heroes wear capes, That's, so I'm here to save the day, whatever the holiday that means. day. Well, we're glad to hear that. We're live at the Boston Public Library, streaming at youtube.com slash GBH News, facebook.com slash GBH News. Reminder, BPR will be on our annual holiday break, or pause, as Marjorie calls it, <laughs> next week. So no library days next week. We'll be back here in the library on January 2nd, 2024. And by the way, if you need a spirit lift, hopefully the show will give you a lift. But over in about 25 minutes, we're going to hear from this fabulous Celtic folk band, mostly fiddlers called Scottish Fish. You're not going to want to miss that. But let's get started. Given that this is our last, is this, yeah, it's our last yeah. show of 2023, we wanted to take some time to reflect back on the year. You know, actually, before we do this, you know what I'm thinking? I was just watching CNN. We learned yesterday <laughs> that Trump attempted to overthrow the legitimate results of the election in Michigan by calling himself as president. Mm-hmm. A couple of canvassers there. And we're not even leading the show with an attempt, another insurrection attempt. What is that? You know why, Jim? No. Because you know what news is? <laughs> News is when something happens you Thank don't you. expect okay, to happen, fine. and this is totally expected. So okay. it's not news. So we'll discuss it with Judge Nancy Gertner a little bit later in the show. But now, again, we're looking back at 2023. Which news story are you going to remember most from the last 12 months? Politics is my choice, but it's not just politics. If you want to talk about the Titan submersible fiasco or the Harvard morgue selling body parts, Taylor Swift's utter dominance, how fabulous White Lotus was with Jennifer Coolidge, whatever it is that moves you, George Santos, maybe it's that New Hampshire woman who used sued Italy after she slipped on a piece of prosciutto, allegedly. And looking forward, to, what are you hoping for? What's your prediction for 2024? Stability, peace, the end of democracy. Do you have a most memorable thing from last year? Yeah, I actually, it's, uh, uh, it's um, more Healy being sworn in. 
I, oh, wow. I think um, January be- of last year. January uh, becomes of this year, this year yeah. becoming the first woman governor yeah. of Massachusetts, the first lesbian, one of the first in the country. I still claim her as the first, even though that other one across the other country because of the time change. Oregon. Uh, yeah, Oregon. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to count more Healy. And I, I think we um, have spent uh, the past 12 months not mentioning that she's a lesbian for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I think that is enormously historic. And uh, I'm, you know, I personally find great pride in that, you know, besides her politics or whether she's a Democrat or Republican. No, I think I it's a big, it. moment, a big moment. Well, since you picked an uplifting thing yeah. to start, I'm going to pick an uplifting thing, too. Trump's 91 indictments. <laughs> I think that was a pretty uplifting time, 91 times. Yep. And the fact, the most memorable thing, I guess, for me is uh, four times he's indicted, a total of 91 felonies. And every time he was indicted, his poll numbers went up, yep. which says, sadly, far more about the state of this country than uh, I'd like to have said. On the lighter side, you watching Fargo? Uh, not yet, but it's it on is. my list oh to my go. Oh, my God. So. Uh, six episodes so far. Juno Temple, who I've never seen in anything, mm-hmm. is beyond brilliant. John Hamm, in a totally different kind of role for him, is absolutely... Well, maybe it's not that different from who he was in Mad Men. But in any case, he's... It is really fabulous. Television is so great and continues to be great. And so it's practically the only respite I have, other than a good restaurant, from the pain as we watch our democracy sort of disappearing from us right under our uh, noses. Do you watch television? I watch television nonstop. So so like what? Well, right now I'm on... This is... We all have our comfort shows from the past. You know, growing up, probably I Love Lucy was one that was on all the time. You could always find an I Love Lucy. Just voted the greatest show in the history of television. Top 100 shows. I don't even know who did the rating. I went back and revisited it uh, during COVID. I love Lucy. She was a genius. Um, So right now, my comfort show is Law & Order SUV. (laughs) (laughs) Just the opening sound of Law & Order makes me feel comforted, and watching Olivia solve all these terrible crimes makes me feel good. So I've been binging that, but I, I watch television nonstop. So another, I think, highlight moment on a serious note, uh, the votes in, let me get the states right, Kentucky, Ohio, and Virginia, mm-hmm. pro-choice uh, votes, pro-abortion yes. votes. And one of the things that we may have time to discuss this with Judge Gertner a little bit later in the show when she joins us in the one o'clock hour, this Mifepristone case is before mm-hmm. the Supreme Court. It's likely to be decided in June, right in the midst of the hottest part of the presidential election. I haven't discussed this with Marjorie, but if the Supreme Court does what most people think it will not do, namely say it's fine that this be not only distributed, but be distributed by mail nationally, does it remove that issue as a great one for whoever the, assumedly Biden, but whoever the Democratic nominee is or no? No, I don't think so, because I think there are a number of different routes that uh, folks can take to ban, restrict, and make uh, safe abortion access difficult. I think that this is a particular, again, not a lawyer, not Judge Gertner, but it's a particular case that I think is even more dangerous toward um, other medicines that we take uh, other than just uh, abortion access. You mean but, because the FDA approved this 20 years ago? Right. There were no health problems with it at all. Yeah, and, and it was approved decide, for something else. It was approved, I think, for point. ulcers. That's I mean, what, they're going to take it off the market? So if you're using it for ulcers, you can't have it? So Donna texted what her story of the year was. For me, one of the things is Sue fighting off coyotes <laughs> and becoming the local woman. Yeah. You know, for those who are not regular listeners to our show, first of all, shame on you. The reason we call you local woman yes. is why, Sue O'Connell? Because I, I was involved 
involved in a coyote incident with my dog, Maud, that got a lot of media attention because I was chased and I had to call 911 and my station, NBC10, did a story mm. on it. The Globe called to do a story on mm. it. And instead of perhaps putting, you know, local news person chased by coyote mm. or Sue O'Connell, perhaps, mm. they put local woman chased <laughs> by coyote. And my ego took about 5,000 yeah. uh, hits there. But I'm okay now because now it's my thing. If that had happened Donald to me, Trump and it's say, a, what? You, it's my thing. I've, you know, remember Donald Trump said that to me. Did he say that to you? He said it to me about said, lesbianism, about being a lesbian, gay rights. He said, he says, "You have your thing. thing. <laughs> I have my thing. So now I have two things." Thank okay, you, apparently. Trump. Well, I hear you have other yeah, things. Yeah, that too. happened. That to was you. during the primary in 2016. Yes. If that had happened to me, local man, I yeah. wouldn't have come out of my house no, since no. like Coyote. Globe attack. would be banned from BPR. By the way, Joel from Connecticut text reflecting on 2023. I found it really shocking that a BPR host feels entitled to drive in bus lanes. That would be Marjorie. the missing Marjorie yeah. Egan. And by the way, if you think I was being uh, rhetorically whatever about her being in panic, <laughs> trust me, she is in abject yes. panic yes. today, which is why she is not joining us. We're discussing what's the, your major takeaway, political or otherwise, from 2023, and then we would like a really thoughtful or prediction. semi-thoughtful prediction for 2024. Can I tell you what mine is? Yes. And I mean this. Nikki Haley is the nominee of the Republican mm-hmm. Party. Have you seen these poll numbers in yep. New Hampshire? I know Iowa comes first, and Trump is likely to win that in a big way. She is creeping closer and closer. New Hampshire loves to be the state that sort of is the counterintuitive, mm-hmm. anti-conventional wisdom thing. So she's close enough to begin with. Polls from about a week ago showed Trump beating Biden within the margin of error, her beating Biden mm-hmm. by 17 points. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know if that's just wishful thinking. I'm not. She's not my cup of tea, but she surely is more my cup of tea than yeah. Donald Trump. She's not going to destroy democracy, even though she's a hard sort of a rock rib mm-hmm. Republican. Is that a preposterous thesis? No, or? I totally agree with you. You do? I do. I 100% agree with you. And I also would add that this this coming year, 2024, is impossible to predict for anything, which means anything can really happen because of all the weird stuff. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, an ancient president. You've got an, a, nut, a nutty a semi-ancient, pre- yeah. president. You've yeah. got a primary process that's been upended. But what um, I think there's a, a, a silent Nikki Haley movement happening. We've heard from Liz Cheney that she would not endorse someone because it would be the kiss of death. You've heard mm-hmm. from Mitt Romney, the same thing. I've talked to some uh, blue-collar uh, Democrats on the moderate side who said almost what you said, I could live with a Nikki Haley. We know that there are some 5,000 uh, Democrats in New Hampshire that have changed their party is that affiliation. True? Yep. So I think that there is a movement uh, to gather around Nikki Haley. And remember, as you know, you don't have to win Iowa or win New Hampshire to win them. You just have to do better than expected and show momentum as you go into the bigger states. Well, I, ordinarily I would say that's the case, but I would argue if Trump convincingly wins oh, Iowa yep. and New Hampshire, uh, that this year, it might be pretty much over. We'll see. In any case, Susan and Carr, you were first on Boston Public Radio with me, Jim Browdy, and Sue O'Connell sitting in for Marjorie. Welcome, Susan. Hello. Thank you. And this is third time's a charm for me. Excellent. Uh, I'm glad you called. Talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Last time I was talking about diving into M&M's naked, but I don't think you <laughs> remember that. No, I do now, I actually. Say, I do now. I've been thinking out. about it for months, Susan. Go ahead. <laughs> you actually told me to email you, but I don't know your email address. So forget about that. It's the oldest trick in the book, Susan. Uh, Go ahead. What's up? It, yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, I know. The phone numbers. Anyway, as 
positive a person as I am, yeah. I think uh, we need to talk a little bit about the terrifying rise in anti-Semitism. Because it is terrifying, and it is, you know, when I went to college, it was the seat of learning and acceptance and et cetera, et cetera. And while I, you know, have feelings about Israel's crazy, uh, you know, attempts to, uh, to eradicate Hamas, it concerns me that there's so much hatred in the United States right now. Well, you know, as Susan, as we've said since October 7th, hopefully thoughtful people can feel two things at once that what happened on October 7th is unimaginable, as is the rise of anti-Semitism in this country, and in the state, by the way, and at the same time, say that 20,000 dead, mostly innocent Palestinians, while the Israelis, according to the New York Times, have apparently not gotten almost any of the leaders of Hamas, is unimaginable horror. So uh, those aren't in conflict at all. Hey, Susan, we really appreciate it. I hope you make your fourth call soon. Thank you. And good luck with the M&Ms. We appreciate it. (laughs) By the way, this person, uh, Nameless, said BPR Person of the Year. We hadn't even thought of that. Oh, I like that. Liliana. Can we get Liliana? We play it all the time. Liliana from Fall River. I would have to agree with whoever that was. Maybe the best call. Can, Ever. We, can we play? Let's just play this now. For those who have not checked this out, there was a story where a woman from New Hampshire allegedly slipped on a piece of prosciutto at Italy down the street. And she was suing. I don't know what the status of the suit is, actually. She's suing Italy for $50,000. Uh, and then out of the blue, totally, I think her first, well, I'm sure it's her first call because I'd remember her forever. <laughs> Liliana from Fall River calls in to argue that the claim of the plaintiff is, let's say, spurious, is how I'd put it. Here's Liliana. Oh, please. First of all, prosciutto is a cure meat, and it does not have the greasy shine. That's a very good point, actually. Mortadella has. Exactly. I cannot stand such stupid women (laughs) that have no idea what Italian food is, and uh, Italian costumes and all that. <laughs> G- right. A BPR person of the year, Liliana from Florida. We really love you, Liliana. We're asking what's your greatest memory. I don't mean greatest, meaning best, but the one that stuck with you from 2023. And if you want to make a prediction about the next year, Mary in Minnesota. Hi, Mary. Hi, good morning. First time caller, recent new listener. Well, Welcome. thank you so much. So I am a... a a licensed social worker, and this year, I also I practice in both Minnesota and North Dakota. And this year, the um, North Dakota legislature had come up with lots of anti-LGBTQ trans bills, but one that we, the social workers of America, were able to defeat was the one that re- would require us social workers to practice conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. So they, um, they wanted us to practice conversion therapy. Uh, that got defeated, and then they tried to rewrite it to, say, to celebrate um, being cis or straight, and that got defeated. But we had a few bills that we were not able to defeat, unfortunately. But the fight is still there. Mary, congratulations. Before, don't go away. For the few people who don't know what conversion therapy is, explain it to people. It is um, a therapy that is required from um, from some Christian groups, primarily that um, essentially is 
to try to convince gay people that they're not gay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it, as Sue O'Connell may, may say it in a more prolific way, but it's, uh, it, it's something that, that if you are old enough as myself to begin way back 20 or 30 years ago, they used to try to say that before you could say you're gay, you have to go through therapy to realize you're mm-hmm. gay versus coming out and saying, I'm gay. And so it's a very perverse type of therapy that they are trying to legitimize, they being far-right people and um, national um, Christians, to Mary, try to convince gay people that we're not gay. Not only do we congratulate you, I want you to know there's somebody sitting in the audience, I was told, who is here from Minnesota, who listens to the show. Oh, Hello. Wow. We're going to talk after the show, so you're not alone. Mary... We're glad you're listening. Call us again. We appreciate it. And congratulations. 75, I think, yep. anti-LGBTQ bills became law in the United yep. States. Is that right? Yes. And But again, to her point, there were also a number that were pushed back. We're in one of these really bizarre moments in history where this progress is being made on some fronts for some things. And then also there's this pullback as, as uh, people are looking for more arcane ways to outlaw things like books and saying things in, uh, in Florida classrooms. So... It's, it's a battle both ways. Uh, Sue, uh, people are texting asking what appeals to you. Actually, I could add myself to this. What is your, what's the appeal of, what is it, SUV or SVU oh. or Law & Order? What's the appeal? You know, um, uh, par- partially it's, it's just a show. The whole Law & Order franchise I've been watching forever. <laughs> and uh, just when you hear the beginning of the song. Do we have that? <laughs> there you go. I already feel calm. That's pretty I always exciting. feel good, That's you know. And exciting. there's something about formulatic um, television there network is. shows now, which are not like Fargo, yeah. which are predictable. So it makes me happy how predictable it is. Okay, well, that sounds good enough to me. Okay. Arlo in Boston, you're almost Sue O'Connell. <laughs> me, Jim Browdy. Welcome, Arlo. Hello. Hello. Um, I just want to say uh, hello and uh, happy New Year, uh, happy holidays. Thank you to that for Thank that. Thank you. What else you got? Uh, that's really it. Okay. That's it. All right, well, that Arlo. was excellent, Arlo. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. See how predictable for it is? that. Oh, exactly. It really is. Well, happy feel? New Year and happy holidays to you too. What's your you you parroted my notion? Apparently, you've thought about it more than I that Haley emerges yep. victorious from this thing. Uh, let's assume Trump is actually convicted in one of these cases before the election. A quarter of the people who say they support him say they would leave him if he were convicted. Do you subscribe to that? Or do you think his ability to say, well, the jury was rigged, the judge was a Democratic appointee, whether he or she was or not, do you buy that? I I think he has a lock-solid 30% of Republican voters who are going to vote. That's not a a small number. Well, it's not much. No, that means there are 70%. Of Republicans. Yes, Republicans. That means 70%, I bet, of Republican voters would not vote for him for if some he were reason. convicted. I I, th- I think so. So if or, or just if they see that there's something else they can do this 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 path that Nikki Haley is taking of just criticizing the chaos that he brings, I think is a good one. I mean, I, yeah, but she'll be long gone if he's convicted. He's not going to be convicted during primary season. He's either the nominee, right. at which point there's no second choice, or he's not the nominee. Right. That's what happened in the fall. Yeah, but he's got these. He's got these cases he has to deal with. I mean, in the Supreme Court, which we're going to talk about. So Nikki Haley's cases just could be this chaos, and he's too busy for us to have him be our representative. Here is Gene from Derry, New Hampshire. 
This is a good one. Most memorable to me when Rudy Giuliani's hair dye was trickling down his face and his press conference held at the Four Seasons Landscaping oh. Company. Wasn't next to a porn shop, too, if uh, I remember correctly? Yeah, it was correctly. a nice strip mall area. A strip yep. mall, yeah. Yep. Okay. Why? Because to me it demonstrates just how far the mighty have fallen and parallels the track of America's democracy and free fall. Yeah. And by the way, for those, I assume everybody knows, he filed for bankruptcy yesterday. And the good news is, I didn't know this, but since the lawsuit and the $148 million won by the mother and daughter is, quote, an intentional wrong or tort, uh, he can't uh, uh, discharge that in bankruptcy. Right. Obviously, he doesn't have the $148 million, but of the several million he does have, they're going to get something which will lead to him being uh, virtually bankrupt. Oh, look at all the wonderful. people agreeing with me about Law & Order. They are? Yep, there is uh, Aaron from Lakeville. I'm with you, Sue. We bought the original Law & Order box set and watch it all the time. Now, someone... Uh, <laughs> Someone, uh, who said they wanted to hear the Santos sound? Is this Aiden himself? So Aiden, who works on the show, which is sort of perverse, says what he wants to do, all he wants for Christmas, is for us to call for the sound of George Santos doing karaoke. So as a favor to our good buddy Aiden, who works on the show, here's George Santos doing karaoke. Let it go, let it go, turn away and slam the door. Good, actually. I've never heard that before. What is that? It's from Frozen, the Disney movie it Frozen. Is? Yes, I wonder if he's in drag doing this. That would that's be a, a that's very, a question. That's a very he has good a big, question. you know, who has a bright future ahead Who's of him in 2024? Who? George Santos. He's going to make a mint. He's going to be the wealthiest inmate, I think, since <laughs> Helmsley. What was her name? Leona, Leona Helmsley. Helmsley. He's yes. going to be running that prison like crazy. Do you remember who Leona, Leona, Leona Helmsley, Helmsley for younger people was from the hotel uh, uh, empire in New York City, Helmsley, to you. Yep. And who did she leave all her money to? Her cat. Her poodle. Her dog. Close enough. Yeah. Let's go to Peter. We don't know where. Dunstan? Wherever. Hello, Peter. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I think we're good. Uh, Thank you for asking. What's up? Well, I really appreciate you guys. You're wonderful. Thank you. Um, but um, I was really happy that finally the Pope agreed to bless mm-hmm. gay relationships and uh, I, was, uh, I was the president of the Newman Club in Salem State College back in 68. And, and at that time, your friend, Father Bob Bullock, called me and asked me to go over to St. Clemens in, in uh, Boston because they, were, they had been picketed when they went to a conference in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they want... And they, when they came back and talked about that, a number of gays in their congregation came up and spoke to them. And so they, we had the first gay mass at wow. St. Clement's. In, in the, hey, and Peter, Peter, can you remind me, Father Bullock, who I did love, I only met a few times, was from Sharon, right? Is that where he's from? That's correct. Let me tell Sharon. the story. Uh, Marjorie took me when she was writing a column for the Herald one day out to meet Father Bullock and Sharon because he was one of the few priests who had the courage to speak out against uh, the uh, horrible uh, Cardinal Law, Bernard Law, who was allowing this horrible sexual violence to be perpetrated against mostly young people in, the, in this uh, archdiocese. And she wrote a piece. I had him on my show on NECN in the old days. He was head of the Boston Priest Forum, which represented priests, sort of like a union, not really kind of thing, but like a union. 
And he drafted a letter that took great courage to sign. He was on the show and he was describing the sins, not his word, mine, of Bernard Law. And I said, does he have to go? Does he have to, does he have to go? And he paused for a long second. He took a deep breath and he said, yes. And wow. we went to a commercial break and he looks at me with a smile and says, I'm toast. <laughs> And uh, the next day or the day after that, the Boston Priest Forum, I think with the signatures of hundreds of priests, called for uh, uh, Cardinal Law to step down, which was one of the most courageous, decent uh, acts that I can remember in my Mm -hmm. lifetime. And Father Bullock is no longer with us, but he was really a hero. And Peter, I'm really glad you called, and I'm glad you told us the story you did. Thank you very much for your call. You know, to underscore that significance, I know we talked about it last week, and I was saying, you know, pets and ships have been able to be blessed before gay couples have been. But, you know, this this is a situation where when the marriage battles were happening here 20 years ago in Catholic churches, uh, priests were standing up there saying that if you voted for same-sex marriage, elderly people weren't going to get any food. I mean, Mm. there was these ridiculous things. So this is where we are. So it's definitely a moment to to be thankful for it. We have a time to squeeze one more in, and it's you, Benjamin from Rehoboth. Benjamin, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you? I think we're good. Thank happy you for holidays. asking. What's up? Good. Ha- happy holidays, everybody. To you, too. Thank you. I was calling because I'd actually like to disagree <gasps> about the TV shows. Ooh. All right. I, 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 I understand why a lot of people like them, because a lot of people like um, re- repetitiveness, I guess, in their life. They want things that make them seem comfortable and like I, I understand why where people are coming from when they say that they like that, but my opinion on it is the show I like to think of is Criminal Minds, which I thought was mm-hmm. when I started watching it. I'm like, oh, it's a great show. I love this. And then after a couple of weeks of watching it, I realized I could just watch the murder at the beginning and then write <laughs> the rest of the show myself because I knew exactly what was going to happen. Well, Benjamin, <laughs> well, you're I am, nodding. I, no, I am so. I, I this is why I like them. I mean, I actually watch a lot of television, so Mm -hmm. I like the unpredictable things. I like to be surprised. But then if I'm, like, puttering around doing my office work at home, Mm -hmm. I like to watch things I can predict. I also know how much they get paid, actors get paid to be on the show. So if someone who's a waiter has more than one line, I know that they have to pay him more. So that means he's probably the killer. Right. So I spend all my time, like Benjamin says, figuring out how the actors are getting paid by how they might be involved in the story. And no one will watch TV with me because I go, oh, he did it because he's getting union scale to say three lines. That means he's got to say more later on. How about that? We should watch TV together. You have any reaction to that, Benjamin? (laughs) We can watch watch TV together. There you go. All right. I think he'd like that. We've come together. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. A show that I'd also like to recommend because it does not follow the repetitiveness. Well, I mean... it does for a little bit, but have you ever seen The Blacklist? Oh, yeah. No, I, I like The Blacklist. Yeah, for, until about oh, season I three. What I, is, I don't know. What is it? What's his name? So it's a, uh, it's a show starring uh, James Spader. That's it. Oh. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Sex, Lies, and Videotape? Is yes, that him? And he's like, yes. The, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The same guy. Yep. And he's like a criminal that has a list of criminals the FBI doesn't even know exist. And, and he doesn't. They go around. I had a problem with the Sorry, wigs, but... the wigs in season one, Benjamin. I had a hard time getting over the wig issue. No, you two really do have to get together. Hey, Benjamin, that was a good one. Thank you uh, very much uh, for the call there. All right. Oh, here's a good one. Okay. Here is Stephen uh, from South Yarmouth. The most hopeful moment for me in 2023 was the launch of the Culture oh. Show on GBH. 
A daily dose of art and culture is a valuable medicine for the soul. Love it. We have to repeat that to Jared and Kelly when they yep. join us in a little bit. It is on now five days a week, two to three. Have you listened to the show? Of about? course I have. It I would, spect- I, it's really it's terrific. Great. It's really, really terrific. Not enough law and order talk on it. But, Thank you, know, we'll Jim. Get to you know, it. it's funny you say that. On my list. For- <laughs> okay, fine. On my list for today is ask them, are they ever, do they do TV shows? I haven't heard that yet. I think they should be doing uh, TV we'll, shows. We'll, we'll tell them. In any case, let's get to some music. Okay, you ready? I think I am. All right, thanks to everybody who called or texted. We're going to take a quick break. Look at it's the final Live Music Friday of 2023. And if the rehearsal is any indication, you are in for a fabulous performance by the Celtic folk band Scottish Fish. They're going to be at their fourth annual holiday showcase tonight at Club Passim. We're going to talk to them. We're going to do our best to keep track of all their names and what they're up. Live Music Friday is next. You're listening to Boston Public Radio 89.7 GBH. Welcome back to Boston Public Radio. I'm Jim Browdy. Sue O'Connell is in for the Christmas panicked Marjorie Egan. <laughs> We're live from the library, streaming at youtube.com slash GBH News, facebook.com slash GBH News. A reminder, uh, BPR will be on our annual holiday break next week, so no library days. We'll be back at the library on Tuesday, January 2nd. Of next year, it's time for Live Music Friday, the last one of 2023, if you can believe it. Here at the interview desk, we're joined by three-fifths of the contemporary Scottish and Cape Breton folk group Scottish Fish. They have two holiday shows tonight at the Great Club Passim, their fourth time doing this, which is surprising considering (laughs) they're not exactly ancient. They all started playing as a band when they were 11. Is that 11? 11? Well, whatever. We're joined at the interview desk by Julia uh, Homa. Is I pronounce that right? Yep. Great. Hi, Julia. Ava Montesi. Yeah. How do I do on that one? And Caroline Dressler. That I can do. We'll talk with other members in a moment. If you want more info on the band and to catch them either tonight or at a few shows they have in January, you go to scottishfishfiddle.com. Julia, Ava, Caroline, welcome. We're great to have you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks so much for coming in. Lisa, I'm going to start with how you came to this music. My, my family on my mother's side, the Quins, actually, are great Celtic players. My late cousin, Wayne, in the Northwest was known for playing all over the place. I start growing up and never thought, hey, I want to do that. So how did you come to this music? Yeah, so um, my mom is a little bit Irish. That's like vaguely related to why she was into it. Um, But when I was around four, we went on a road trip to Cape Breton Island in Nova Scotia, and they have a big Celtic music scene up there. It's a lot of like intergenerational playing. It was incredibly cool to witness. Um, And so I saw these like little kids, like around four or five years old, playing the fiddle and step dancing, and I thought it was really cool. Um, And then we came home, and it turned out that in the town that we lived in, we're all from, or a bunch of us are from Arlington. Um, there was a woman who taught Scottish fiddle lessons, so I just started taking with her. Um, and I was really good friends with Ava at the time, so it kind of like bled over into mm-hmm. other of my friends. Mm-hmm. And How long ago was this, yeah. Ava? When did you start uh, meeting was, each other? We, well, I've known Caroline and the Julia, who plays the cello and piano, since I was about four or four. five. Wow. 
But I, we, I didn't play back then. And are people still... I mean, I, I don't buy this notion that people can stay friends, five of you, for all this time. You really get along, everybody? Or is this a we pretend thing? We really get along. You do? Yeah. <laughs> and to aggressive degree, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. I feel like oh, yeah. we're You're still nodding. playing together just because we like hanging out, honestly. Is that really oh, true? Oh, my God. Yeah. That's why we started playing together is because yeah. we had so much fun just hanging out. And, and you're then. still having the same amount of fun? Oh, yeah. I think now, we're having more fun now. Is that really so? I swear it's true. It so true. why why does someone choose the fiddle, for example, over Julie, like classical violin? What what appealed in the former as opposed to the latter? Yeah, so I guess for me, I loved playing the fiddle just because of how fun it was and the community that surrounds it. Um, and so like when you go to these music camps, which is where I got to know the rest of the band, um, like these fiddle camps there is so many people of all different ages and different generations playing together um and i guess for me classical stressed me out a little bit more because it was so competitive um and fiddle was mostly about like having fun and playing music that you love together with people that you enjoy spending time with um and so that would really drew me to it what uh, what other music do you listen to all sorts of music. <laughs> like do you, when you're driving to a gig, what, yeah. what, what do you have on on the on the on the? Um, okay, well, recently, recently, yeah, we've been listening to a lot of old jazz, um, <laughs> early jazz, <laughs> like early jazz. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like uh, it was on constantly when we were touring the West Coast over the summer, and then we moved on to tango music the second time we were on uh-huh. the West Coast um, this summer, and um, now we're like aggressively into ABBA as of. Last this last most recent weekend because we were um, driving back from New York City like really late at night. Do you know who Christopher Muther is? No. Christopher <laughs> Muther is the travel writer for the Boston Globe. Okay. I love Christopher Muther with one however. Christopher <laughs> Muther, the most excited he's been, I believe, in the last five years. Do you know that they're, they're fake ABBA people in London? Do you know about this thing? What are those no. things called? What are they called? The avatars. Avatar. Oh, Do you know about God. this? Yeah, we no. saw it, like the little thing on we the screen over the yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, not them. Do you know that? It's them, but yeah. it's, do you know, does yes. that appeal to you at all? No. Exactly. Okay, yes. fine. You're <laughs> in a good place. You know, Julia, what I want to do is Celtic players, uh, a couple of months ago, one of the great people we have ever known on the show, Brian O'Donovan, died, who did more for all kinds of music, particularly Celtic music. Celtic Sojourn was the show. Did you, got, you guys had some time with him did you know so actually the first time that we were here which is about like six or seven years ago now we were really little um (laughs) he hosted us like right here at the library yeah Yeah, the library and did you play you played yeah what was that like he is amazing he made us feel so welcome and so a part of this community because like because he was kind of like I wouldn't say the ringleader, but like he was, he, he was, oh, he no. was the he ringleader. Was like a grandfather to like the whole yeah, yeah to really all of is. us, and like he was so supportive of like the people that we grew up listening to, and to like have that support from him also, like as we were growing up in the community, was something that was really special. Um, and then him hosting us at the Burr and Backroom series oh, that's was fabulous. for our CD release concert. Um, and a couple of times before that was really, really cool. People you look yeah. up to, uh, correct me, Katie McNally is somebody Katie McNally, who's been on our Katie show, McNally. was for here sure, with yeah. Brian a couple of and My yeah. God, is she talented. I mean, that was yeah. just mm-hmm. incredible. Okay, so Carolyn, what's the, what are you guys playing? What's the first thing you're going to play? So the first thing we're going to play is a tune called Epic Reel. Um, it's by a traditional musician from Vermont. Um, but we've taken it and put our own little spin on it, and it's one of our favorite pieces to play. And then after that, we're going to play one of our more holiday arrangements. As you mentioned, we have this like holiday showcase coming up tonight. 
So we have a few sets that we take, like a Christmas or holiday tune, and put it with like a Celtic tune. Um, so that one we call Carol. Carol, fair yeah. enough. Can you put your headsets down gently on the counter yeah. there <laughs> and join your bandmates? Thank and you. we're going to hear them playing Epic in a couple of seconds. Yeah, I want to remind you, of course, that you can still get tickets tonight to their show at the Great Club Passim. It's a 5 p.m. show, so it's perfect to do if you're out shopping uh, in the area to get over there. And, of course, they're going to be touring New England in January, uh, returning in January 13th. So just make sure you visit the Club Passim website for information. You guys ready to go? Scottish Fish playing Epic. Take it away.
Scottish Fish. Come on back, well, three of you, Julia and the two other bandmates. Wow. That was fabulous. Yeah. Again, two holiday shows at Club Passim, the fabulous Club Passim tonight. Julia Homa uh, joins us, rejoins us. Julia Heibel is joining, and uh, Maggie McPhail. Uh, that was fabulous. Yeah. Was if, I, if you're listening, you also have to go to YouTube and watch. Yes, yeah, you know, There's it's no great. doubt, you guys. I, I, I'm, I'm sure I've seen 500 trillion music ensembles in my lifetime. You guys look like you actually like each other and are having a good time. I mean, I know you said you like each other, but you really love doing this, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's sure. great. Yeah, I mean, I've like known all these girls my whole life, and they're all like a couple years older than me, and so... Pretty much it's just been like four older sisters, I guess. Do you know who the Brown sisters are? Speaking of that, you probably don't. This is a great idea I have for you, not that you need it. <laughs> the Brown sisters were four sisters, I think. I believe so. They're starting in 1975, a photographer, who I think his name was Nixon, I'm not 100% sure, took their photograph in roughly the same position every single year for like 40 years yep. or something. You, that'd be fabulous for you guys. Is that you're looking at me like really? No, it's a great. Trust no. me, it's a great. So yes? we we actually have something you do? kind of similar, which What's is that? we've played the Boston Celtic Music Festival for this is going to be our 11th or 12th <laughs> year now, and we have a picture of us at the you same do? stage on Club oh. like for all of those years. Great did. idea I had. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank <laughs> you very much. No, we we implemented it in advance. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Julia Heibel, you're the non-fiddler. You play yes. the cello and the piano. Correct. So do you feel like an outsider or what's how do you deal with this? Um, a little bit, but I, I like my role because I get to counterbalance everything else. <laughs> You're the anchor. On. And I get to do anchor. whatever I want because there's no one else playing chords. Do you, right. play, do you play fiddle at all or you don't? No, I don't. And yeah, you don't want to hear me. Do that. <laughs> uh, well, okay. And what, 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 do you guys meet like at the end of every year and say, do we want to do this for another year? What's our creative future going to look like? Are we going to implement... You asking me and Marjorie, or you asking them? <laughs> I sorry. ask you guys every year, and that's why I'm only here <laughs> okay, once a year. Um, <laughs> is there, is there a, like, are you going to implement uh, you know, ABBA into your, your playlist? I mean, how do, how do you decide what the creative future of the year is going to be? You know, we've thought about doing um, an ABBA concert, <laughs> where we just only do ABBA covers. I think, yeah. I think um, Maggie was asleep in the back of the car on the way back from New York when we were discussing this, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in terms of our, like, creative process, we kind of just each, like, bring ideas to the table, and then we're usually all on board, and then we kind of just, yeah, implement them. Yeah. Julia Homa, uh, where's the name come? Where, what's uh. Scottish Fish about? <laughs> this is a classic question. Um, <laughs> and? Yeah, so we started, we, the name Scottish Fish comes from 2011, when we were at this uh, fiddle camp called Boston Harbor Scottish Fiddle School, mm -hmm. um, and I think it was... Me and Ava and Caroline and one other person were doing this quartet um, for the Kaylee there, which is like a party at the end of the camp. Mm -hmm. um, and we were like, we like had this whole thing where we brought a bunch of candy and like stashed it in our rooms. And we we're like obsessed with it because we were eleven. Um, and is Swedish fish where this is going? This yep. is where it's oh going. Oh my god! Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we were like, this is going to be the funniest thing in the whole world. <laughs> If we call ourselves Scottish Fish because it's a Scottish music camp, we've been eating Swedish fish all week. Like, we thought we were like top-notch, hilarious comedians. I think it's pretty. Well, top you're pretty insightful, hilarious. actually. I guess it was really just a creative strike. Yeah. Right? Can I ask one more question before you were every? I assume people have day jobs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What does everybody, Julia? What does everybody do? Um. Okay. 
do we want to go down and well quickly yeah, yeah what, okay what do you do i um i work at club Passim actually and then i also work at berkeley college of music oh you do yeah how about you Julie, I, another so Julie. i just graduated from the new england conservatory here in boston Jesus. um and yeah my last day of school was last friday oh, so i don't have a job yet and maggie what's your deal <laughs> well i actually just quit my job i was just working at Buffalo Exchange. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my life. But then I didn't have any time for music. So, And now I do. It's great. Great yes. priority. That's great priority. By the way, a ton of people are yeah. texting saying they're thinking of Brian O'Donovan, Donovan. which really yep. makes me feel yep. wonderful as you were playing. And quickly, Ava and Caroline yeah. do so what? So, Ava's a track and cross country coach. Whoa. Hello. Which is <laughs> very cool. Okay. Um, and uh, Caroline is a substitute teacher. That's fabulous. Excellent. Okay, you're playing Coral. Uh, coral? Carol. 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 Whatever. Go do it. It's great to meet you all. You're fabulous. Thank you so much really, for having us. By Thanks the way, we're getting huge, yeah. great reviews on you guys and as I have you're to, playing. The smiles on the faces and the yeah, oh wows it's of the great. folks here at the library. You can definitely see them tonight at Club Passim, 5 p.m., their holiday show. They're going to be back on the road. Of course, they are Scottish fish, not Swedish fish. <laughs> but, you know, these strikes of creativity take us everywhere. All right. Take it away, guys. Carol. Thank you. 
Scottish great. fish. Oh my god! Amazing. Are they great? That's 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 might be the best performance all year we've heard, and so it was beautiful. Great to have Brian O'Donovan's spirit with us during this holiday the exact season same as thing. well. Okay, so you want to say where they're going to be? Absolutely, you can see them tonight at Club Passim, 5 p.m. holiday show. Tickets are still available on tour in New England in January at the Crystal Ballroom in Somerville. Go to Scottish Fish Fiddle. Com for more information when we come back right after the new news. GBH's Callie Crossley is here, so don't go away. More interesting stuff to talk about, and we'll have advice for you as well about last-minute Christmas stuff. Jim and I, I know you're dying to know for us to tell you what to do, so stay with us. You're listening to Boston Public Radio on 89.7 GBH. God, uh, sorry. We have a show here. It's live, Jim. You maybe should Let's pay attention. Let's talk about the hot chocolate some more, Jim. Thank you. As I was saying, welcome back to our number two of Boston Public Radio. The reason I am welcoming you back is because Marjorie, of course, is off in an abject panic about Christmas, but I'm sure she's doing well. I am Jim Browdy with the uh, Coyote Attack Survivor, Sue O'Connell, from NBC Boston. Keeps what is that, giving. NBC 10? But what NBC the hell? 10 Boston, Boston is sorry. what it's called. We're thrilled to have you. We're live from the, uh, I don't think Kelly's laughing at her. I think she may be laughing at me. Uh, we're live from the library. Stream at YouTube.com slash GBH News, Facebook.com slash GBH News. Reminder, we're on our annual holiday break. BPR is next week. So no library days next week. We return to the library on January 2nd. 2024. Uh, is David Leonard still in the room? Uh, he was a minute ago. We're going to thank him at the end of the show. He's the president of the library, and they've been wonderful mm-hmm. to us this year, as they always have. And we love David and his whole team. We're joined now by somebody we're fairly fond of, too, by GBH's Kelly Crossley. Kelly's the host of Under the Radar with Kelly Crossley. You can catch that Sunday nights right here on 89.7.6. You can also hear Kelly commentaries on Mondays for GBH's Morning Edition. And she also co-hosts uh, for GBH, The Culture Show, which airs daily at 2 o'clock right here on 89.7. Hello, Kelly Crossley. Hello, Jim. Great to hey, see you. Sue. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Sue. I haven't seen you in person I, I in so know. long. I haven't seen Sue in a long Since time. Since I moved to Tuesdays. Yeah, I know. All right. I know. <laughs> All right. Let's, I have a lot of complicated feelings about Harvard University yeah. President Claudine yeah. Gay. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the university is under siege there's a lot of reasons to be concerned about what's happening over at that private institution and um, a lot of concerns about whether or not the president, Claudine Gay, is being unfairly or fairly targeted for charges of uh, plagiarism or lack of proper citation, as I think some of the findings had said. What, what are your thoughts on, on all of this situation? And what should Harvard be doing that they're not doing, do you think? That they're not doing? I don't, I don't know how to answer that. I think what they're doing is going back over uh, you know, the paperwork having to do with her dissertation. They did it already uh, at the... Well, not suggestion, but sort of the force uh, from people who kept claiming that she had uh, plagiarized and I looked at all her works and said, no, there was nothing. She made an error in not quoting, putting quote marks around something. And um, uh, and that was, you know, not to be done. That's not what they approve of. But in terms of just 
ripping off somebody, they declared that not to be the case. Now, in that, unfortunately, they looked at the published work, but not at her dissertation. And so there was a lot of attention brought to her dissertation. And so that required then going back in there. It was just the messiness that makes it, uh, it was already a big deal, but it makes it a bigger deal when you go back in there twice uh, to look at it. And so there's a lot of discussion, as so many, so many people have said in, in some of the, in the pieces that uh, we read about the issue itself of plagiarism. I think you have to define it. And uh, somebody in here talked about the two kinds of plagiar- plagiarism, whether you're ripping off the idea, which is considered to be the more critical yeah. issue, or you are miscredited or didn't credit somebody for language mm-hmm. used. Uh, very, even, even if it's similar, you know, you can be uh, reprimanded for that. And so that's what she was reprimanded for. So people are themselves, as you say, conflicted because they're like, hey, this is not something, you know, if students did it, students are out. That's that's not, they can't do it. Um, But we also know that this is is coming from external forces for partisan reasons and and people feel some kind of way about that. So, Kaita, you said you couldn't answer the question about what to do. I can. Okay. This is the most feeble defense of any I've ever seen. I mean, Harvard so is, so, defense is, is so unused to talking yeah. to the public well, that's about anything. Yeah. If they're going to keep Claudine Gay, and if she wants to continue being the president, then defend yourself. Mm-hmm. Speak up. The Congress, the committees with Virginia Fox mm-hmm. and this lunatic Stefanik, who's a white nationalist, mm-hmm. I should say, not to mention mm-hmm. an insurrectionist attacker. Ackman, this donor, is attacking her. And by the way, I think she did a very poor job in front of Congress, but nevertheless, the board, if you're going to keep her and support her, support her. Mm-hmm. Talk to people. Give her. This is like how the Democrats are always criticized. The Republicans are always on the offensive and crouching in a corner are most Democrats. Defend yourself if you believe it's defendable, defensible, which they obviously do because they're keeping her. Mm-hmm. Can you have you seen her talk to anybody? No. no. Have you seen Penny Pritzker, the board chair, talking to anybody? No. no. How about prominent faculty people mm-hmm. who signed that letter in support of her, like seven hundred people? How about some of them talking to the mm-hmm. world? That's what they got to do mm-hmm. if they're really committed to this woman. And it worries me the fact that they're not. Mm-hmm. Worries me that they're not. Mm-hmm. committed to the woman, that they're waiting out the storm, maybe, I don't know. But if you're going to fight, you should sure as hell fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you see these trucks running through Harvard Square, I don't know if you've seen them, uh-uh. these okay. trucks about it, trashing her. Mm-hmm. It's I just really yeah, well, low rent. There are two yeah. of them that are doing it almost all the time. And again, there's no fight back. So we're not going to discuss today all the mar- You brought up all the stuff around yeah. her citations. We'll do that another day in greater depth. But if you're going to fight then you should fight, is the bottom line. Speaking of fighting, Kamala Harris, talk about a change in things. A year ago, if we had had this conversation, Mm -hmm. Joe Biden was fairly popular. Mm -hmm. Nobody liked Kamala Harris. All of a sudden, Kamala Harris is riding much higher than she was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Joe Biden is obviously, his popularity is lower than virtually any president at this time in his first term. Uh, And she is basically carrying the torch on what many believe, I know Marjorie does, is the issue that causes Donald Trump to be defeated if he's the nominee. Mm -hmm. Abortion. What's Harris doing? Well, she's going on a tour, the Fight for Reproductive Freedoms Tour. That is the name of the tour, Mm -hmm. starting in Wisconsin. Everybody knows that's an important state, uh, political state. Um, And she's there to say extremists across the country continue to wage a full-on attack against hard-won, hard-fought freedoms as they push their radical policies. That's quote, unquote. 
um, and she's out there to talk about it. I just want to point out that this is not new for her. Right mm-hmm. after uh, Roe v. Wade uh, was overturned, she was right out there on the, um, I don't it wasn't the campaign trail, but she was on the trail being very forthright about her opinions on this and getting quite a bit of attention. That sort of began the she's out in front more than we had seen her in the past. And so she's just picking up on that. And the Democrats see this as, a, as an issue that works for them. Um, and they're, listen, and she's going out on the, uh, near the anniversary of the, mm-hmm. of the overturning. So that's very important. Um, so I think that she can stir a lot of momentum. Kelly, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to vice presidents in general. I think it's like a terrible job and they're always criticized in many ways about things they have no control over, like if the president includes them, if they're given lousy jobs. Uh, and I think I'm sympathetic to Vice President Harris for her being the first uh, on a number of fronts and how the burden of that is is a big one. I hear a big butt coming. But <laughs> she has not been great on the campaign trail mm. as a candidate, mm. just not what she stands for, mm. not what kind of person she is, but just as a candidate, she's not been great. Is this her moment right now? Are we going to see a candidate, Kamala Harris, you know, out there really campaigning for a Biden-Harris ticket and perhaps a Harris ticket in the future? She, does she have that in her, do you think? Well, yeah, I don't think, you know, I think one would argue that people were quite surprised uh, at how she did, as I mm-hmm. said, when this first was overturned. She got right out there and she was very visible and she was not namby-pamby, if mm-hmm. some people have accused her of being. Ah. She was very clear. This is bad, This is and, and this is bad for the country. This is bad for women. This is bad for democracy. She used those terms. So I think this is another opportunity for her to use a platform that has worked for her very well. I'm sorry, use an issue that's worked for her very well, and maybe by as a result of doing that, then the platform will actually fit her better mm-hmm. because she's she didn't, you know, as a candidate... You're trying to figure out, I want to say what I believe, but I also am trying to feel out where are the points that I can connect with most voters. This, she's decided, I'm connecting through this. Now, you jump on board with me. I'm not going to make an excuse about it or be namby-pamby. You know, it's interesting. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. When Paris and I did the interview with Kamala Harris at the NAACP Mm -hmm. convention, I was one who went in saying she's not a very impressive public speaker, and I'm sort of disappointed. She was spectacular Mm -hmm. One to two. Right. I mean, she was funny, smart. She was great. And I thought on every single issue. And there are a lot of people in politics who are good in certain settings who aren't great uh, in other settings. Uh, and at least in my opinion, that kind of setting, she really comes mm-hmm. across powerfully. And I, Well, let's not forget. Let's go back to when she was in the Senate. I yeah. mean, I wrote oh, yes. a lot of commentaries about yeah. her ability to grill those um, Oh, she was a great inquisitor. I mean, she so was incredible. We all thought that that translated into, you know, being out in front and being a public speaker because she was good um, sp- uh, spontaneously right there doing what she had to do. And it wasn't as good as everybody thought she would be in well, that role. Yeah, she's yeah. always had two feet. And, right. You know, she's been the prosecutor, yeah. and then she's been the progressive, yeah. Yeah. right? And right. it's hard to be both those things to a voter, right? Yeah. But to your point, I think, and to your point, Jim, as well, if the issue is her issue, right. she can be both the progressive and the prosecutor and be out on the road and be more authentically herself, which right. I think will connect with voters. And also, remember the vice presidential debate? Yeah. Yeah. I'm speaking... 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that turned into a whole That's what Marjorie thing, says you know? every day on the show, actually. It's a very interesting thing. Does yeah, she wear a T-shirt, too? We're talking speaking. to Callie Crossley. So this is a great story you brought to our attention. Let's play a little, little sound. This is Sally Snowman, who I hadn't heard of. She is the last mm-hmm. keeper, I think, out of 70 of the Boston Light, mm-hmm. the first woman out of 70. Here she is on CBS News, uh, featured by Jacob Wyckoff, talking about her love at the Lighthouse. In my heart of hearts... Boston Light is my home. I took to it like a fish to water. When I got off of the job, I couldn't believe it. My first experience to Boston Light was when I was 10 years old, and I stepped off to the beach, looked up at the light and said, Daddy, when I grow up, I want to get married out here. And I did in 1994. That's a pretty beautiful story. I know. And now um, the final days are here because they changed um, how lighthouses are to be... um, well, first of all, she got in because there was a change uh, during COVID and they took mm-hmm. the Coast Guards away uh, who used to man those positions. And she had an opportunity to do that um, because, as, you, as she said, she loved it so much. And so she was there living and then at weekends would go home to her husband and was, you know, checking for um, mechanical errors and cleaning up and just being there and looking at the light and enjoying it. That changed again. And now it's going over to the National Historic Lighthouse because of the National Lighthouse, uh, Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act of 2000, all of that oversight of the lighthouses goes to under them, and so there'll be no more humans. I think what's important to note is that there she's the 70, 70th lighthouse keeper for this lighthouse, and all 69 before her were men. Mm. Yep. So I think it's closing, it closing the shop up I there, know. closing it up. I know. All right, let's switch over to an unfunny uh, topic, the oh Saturday Night Live skit on the sickle cell CRISPR therapy, which was, um, besides, incredibly inaccurate, incredibly unfunny. Let's, uh, can we take a listen to uh, yeah. a little bit of that? Let's take a listen. Congratulations. You have been enrolled in Vertex Pharmaceuticals and CRISPR Therapeutics Exocell program for sickle cell anemia. Is this a new treatment? It's not a treatment. It's a cure. The FDA just approved Exocell this week, but there's a two-year waiting list. And uh, Winston, we've been working together for eight years, and I I always hated to see you in such pain. So, um, no, Merry Christmas. Amazing. This this is, I don't even know what to say. Merry Christmas. Just gonna swap this out for that boogie woogie sandwich. <laughs> all right, so besides not being funny, no what's kidding. wrong with this? Well, there were all the myths and stereotypes about um, at some point somebody says, by the way, it's based on a Yankee swap. swap. Yeah. I'm looking at Azita. She used to do the Yankee swaps for our newsroom. So. Don't hold that against <laughs> no. Still a lot but, uh, of hurt feelings. Uh, well, I'm just saying that, you know, you, you can trade off. Um, and I was like sitting there looking at this going, what, where is this going? Yeah. I really thought there was going to be an edge or something to it. So then I was embarrassed Then I was angry. So the, the myths are that only white people can get it. Um, and black that people. Bla- only black people can get it. Thank you. Uh, because the guy in the skit said, oh, I'm giving this back for something else because, you know, everybody in my family is white and I'm white. Um, and the myths are um, how hard it is. Well, it is hard to, to cope with it. But they just went on and on and on with the stereotypes about it. And this 
this is the thing that all of the sickle cell organizations, advocacy groups have been fighting against forever. And finally, there actually is this therapy which works um, and is extremely important. I mean, it's, it's, it's changing lives and saving lives of folks who have sickle cell. And so have, to have it, um, you know, people can take a joke, but as they said, we would expect them to use their power of smart satire in a way that would, you know, elevate the issue that would make sense to people. We can, we can take a joke, but this was horrible. I, I mean, I was cringing. Um, did you all, y'all saw yes, it? Yes, yeah, I did. No, I saw it. I, I watched horrible. it live, and I was, uh, like you, yeah. I was waiting for it to be funny. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big forgiver of anything funny. Right. If it's really funny, I can forgive almost anything. And then as it was dying, and then it became just, as you said, I'm like, well, white people, what, 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 what's happening here? There's so much wrong with it. And it's on the heels, as I said to Jim, on the other skit that they did last, the week before. Oh, with on the, the president? Yeah, with the, uh, the yes. which also MIT, was not, Harvard, yeah, and, not funny. Uh, there was a piece of that. That was funny, which was University of Arizona. Right. That yeah. was so great. that was, you know. But he couldn't save this one. Okay, no. can we talk yeah. alcohol instead yes. Yes. for an upbeat let's, ending let's to this talk thing? About it. So we have to we have three things to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Last week you talked about spiked eggnog. Yes. And what happened pre-made. as a role uh, as a result of you talking about a pre-made there, Kelly Crossley? I feel very strongly about a pre-made uh, spiked eggnog, the only one that's good, Pennsylvania Dutch. And I was just mentioning it. And so then Marjorie said, well, we're going to get it. Where can you get it? Where can you get it? So I said, well, it's hard to find, but I found it at Save More Spirits in Cambridge and Liquor World in Somerville. <laughs> well, then I get a nice note from Mr. Wiener, Michael Wiener, who owns Save More Spirits. And he story. says, my son runs the store. And we were wondering why all these people are coming in asking for this thing. And finally they said, oh, we heard it on the radio. So <laughs> that um, it got a little uh, tiny run of people going in to get it. And by now I'm sure they're sipping and delighted to have such a delicious drink. Mm-hmm. Do you want yeah. to do the same for Poppy's Coquito? Yeah, <laughs> hey, this sounds great. You know what? what I love Coquito. Coquito what is. What is that? It's people say it's uh, the Puerto Rican um, eggnog, but it's really not. It's just drink onto itself. It's culturally connected to Puerto Rico. It's coconut cream flavored rum. Mm. But people pride themselves on their secret recipes. I have a new bottle just that I just got yesterday In your from bag. my, from my, right no, oh, from no. my <laughs> physical therapist yesterday. Her friend makes it, so I have. Okay. I'm, I'm all set. Um, but this guy in um, New England. Uh, made his special recipe that he doesn't share. It's called uh, Poppy's Refrescos is, a, is the store. And um, he makes his co- Coquito beverage to sell. And so you can get it there in uh, several places in Canton and in Rhode Island. Okay. Coquito is delicious. So I don't want to be left out, by yeah. the way. So <laughs> yeah. I want to add a drink to this thing. Yes. Two of the finest people I've ever met own Celeste in Union Square, which is a fabulous small yes, restaurant. Mm-hmm. They own La, La Royale in sort of in yeah. your neck yeah. of the Woods I was, over I was there. there not long ago. Oh, really? Yeah. And they own this incredible place in Vermont called Esmeralda. Well, yesterday, I think it was, that uh, Esquire magazine said that they had at La Royale one of the best martinis in America, a Pisco martini. And Pisco, for people, you know, you know what it is? Yes, no. It's this I Peruvian, this. I, I don't know if it's sort it's of brandy-esque kind of thing. I've only had a Pisco sour with them at Celeste, which is, I had one the other night, actually, mm-hmm. is unbelievable. But want to send uh, congratulations to Juan Ma Maria, who owned this joint, La Royale, for uh, being named one of the best martinis I've in America. I've had one of their drinks. Martini. Yeah, I've had one of their drinks, I think, with Pisco in it, but not the martini, because I'll be on the floor if I have a martini. Mm-hmm. You who can really put away martinis? <laughs> 
Marjorie Egan. Marjorie Egan. <laughs> she doesn't like when I say it. Jenny, can she put away martinis? <laughs> By the way, you can put away martinis. <laughs> and Jared, too? I, yes, that's right. Jared I, is a cocktail person. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My yeah. daughter, yeah. who's 23, uh, who has, does not like alcohol, every time we go out, tries a new drink and tries a new liquor and then drinks it and says, I don't know what the big fuss is about. And I'm like pushing her to keep trying drinks. It's a very weird dynamic. <laughs> yeah, apparent. It's pretty odd. Yeah. So, Kelly, yes. uh, Sunday night you have the show of yours. You know that? Yes, I do what are you have doing? the show. Well, we're, we're not doing anything. Oh, because, perfect. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> no, because uh, GBH has a special Christmas Eve. Oh, is this Oedipus? Um, yes, yes, but before that, Al Davis is doing uh, Christmas jazz, so oh, it's great. all night, yeah. so my show is preempted for that, and it's wonderful. Oh, it's let me tell wonderful. you an Oedipus yeah. story about Oedipus yeah. and Sue back in 1980. Oh, no, Uh-oh. I can't tell that on the radio. Oh, oh, let me tell oh. another story about me and Oedipus. Oh, no, I can't tell that one either. Oh, gee, I'm going to have to tell these later. So, By Oedipus. the way, those are great. They really are yeah. great shows for they are. Christmas Eve, they are. and they're unlike anything else you'll hear. Uh-huh. They're really spectacular. Yes. We'll and miss Oedipus, your show, though. Yes, and Oedipus will be live. Yes. Uh, so that's it. What are you wearing before you go, please? Oh, this is my pen from one of our listeners and viewers, Nancy McCusker. Oh, she cool. sent me another Santa uh, collectible, and this is one that she just sent me. Oh, that's, that's adorable. Thrilling. Isn't it nice? And she just says to add to your collection. Well, happy Christmas. You know, uh, happy New Year, everything. <laughs> Kelly, it's great to have you. All right. Be well. Yeah. Kelly Crossley. Yeah. We look forward to your review of the new Nog that you have. <laughs> All right. Kelly Crossley, of course, the host of Under the Radar. Most Sunday nights you can hear it on 89.7 at 6 o'clock. Also, her Cali commentaries on Mondays for GBH's Morning Edition. She is also the co-host of GBH's Culture Show, which you can hear daily at 2 o'clock. All right, coming up after a quick break, another star of the Culture Show, Jared Bowen. He's here with some movie recommendations for us. You're listening to Boston Public Radio, 89.7 GBH. Welcome back to Boston Public Radio. Jim Browning and Marjorie Egan. By the way, Anne from Midway texts in and says, Pisco is from Chile. So my apologies. I thought it was Peru. In any case, it's fabulous. Uh, I'm Jim Browdy. Sue O'Connell sitting in for Marjorie. We're live at the library. Streaming at YouTube.com slash GBH News and Facebook.com slash GBH News. Reminder, we're off next week. Uh, there'll be great best of shows. I shouldn't say they're great, but they are best of <laughs> That's shows. That's why they're the best. I know, but it's you shouldn't say they're by yourself. But in any case, uh, Marjorie's great on those shows. Uh, we're on a holiday break, and we return to the library on January 2nd. We're joined now at the desk by Jared Bowen. Jared is GBH News Executive Arts Editor and host of The Culture Show, which airs every single day, 2 o'clock right here at 89.7. Hello, Jared Bowen. Hello. Hello. Hello, Jared. Great to see you both. All right, and you as well. You. All right, let's just jump in with your little list here and the it's Golden Globes and all my, these my things. Little list. Your little list. Your little list of things that you like and don't like <laughs> and are very. I haven't seen any of them because I've been Neither busy watching Law and Order. Okay, let's really. Okay. So uh, let's start with American fiction. Shall we do that? Yeah. All so, right. So we're okay. I was just saying, want to play a clip first? So. Sure. All right. Let's play a little clip from this movie, American Fiction, which I'm intrigued about, and I can tell by Jared's face you will be too. 
Wait, we have to Mom. say something. Hold on a second. Oh. <laughs> Jeffrey Wright stars his mom. Okay. That's what you meant to say, isn't sure, it? Sure, yes. And you were then going to say a frustrated novelist fed up with the establishment, profiting from black entertainment with offensive tropes. So in his new book, he starts to lean into these stereotypes. Here, sure. Sue meant to say, is a clip <laughs> from the trailer. Here it is. Monk, your books are good, but they're not popular. Editors, they want a black book. They have a black book. I'm black, and it's my book. You know what I mean. Look at what they publish. Look at what they expect us to write. I just want to rub their noses in it. I'd be standing outside in the night. Deadbeat dads, rappers, crack. You said you wanted black stuff. That's <laughs> black, right? Pretty good trailer, I should say. Yeah. Yep. There is a lot to unpack. This is getting so much attention, and deservedly so. It just got several Golden Globe, Golden Globe nominations, including for Jeffrey Wright and for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. And this is a big, fat satire. Mm-hmm. And it is looking at pretty much everything. It's looking at race in America. It's looking at the publishing industry. It's looking at our culture writ large. And so, as you just explained, we have Monk, who is this professor and writer who cannot get his works published and he he goes to a bookstore right here in Boston because this film was shot in Boston uh, and finds his books just by virtue of the fact that he's a black author relegated to the African studies section and so as his financial pressures mount he's trying to take care of his family he wants to do something that's going to gain him money and success and so he writes a book uh, called My Pathology. He changes the title and starts to write about characters who are deadbeat dads, rappers, and crack, and suddenly his book becomes very successful. This thing that he dis- kind of did as a lark, as a social experiment, takes off, and then the movie deal comes, and it becomes this whole conversation about what it means to be black in America, what it means to be a black artist in America, what it means to be a white publishing industry that falls all over itself for this book. Lots and lots of layers, and while being totally hilarious. You're not a big movie guy. Well, we have three movies today. What's with you? Well, I always have been a movie guy, just the last been year a little so, busy? A little yeah. busy. Okay, yeah. fine. So that's American fiction. How about Past Lives? Past Lives. This is a beautiful, beautiful film. So this has been out for a while, but it's getting a lot of renewed attention because it's nomination season. This has a number of Golden Globe nominations. It's gorgeous, and you can see it streaming right now. I think it's streaming specifically on Apple TV, but you can also buy it and rent it. And this moves forward in time in 12-year passages. And we start by finding this, these, this boy and girl, Nora and Haesung, in, in Seoul, Korea. And they just have this connection, this boy and girl. And they really adore one another. And then her family moves to the United States. Then we move another 12 years. And we've, we, we realize that he has always been lingering in her life, even though 12 years has passed and she's moved well beyond childhood. And they reunite online. And there are these passages in this film where you just have these two characters uh, 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 Tao Yu and Greta Lee who you might recognize from the morning show that have this amazing chemistry even though they're remotely connecting and then we move another 12 years into the future and she's fully ensconced in America, she's married and he suddenly arrives here and it's called Past Lives because there's also this connection, I think you have a clip that reflects this too, her character talks about this that when, when, when people brush up against each other, that they're connecting over their past lives. And there are layers and layers, maybe even over centuries, that we bring to bear for the people we meet and ultimately spend our lives with. And it just ends up being gorgeous. Here is uh, Greta Lee, who you just mentioned, speaking. Here it is. There's a word in Korean. Inyan. It means providence. 
or fate, but it's specifically about relationships between people. I think it comes from Buddhism and reincarnation. It's an inyan. If two strangers even walk by each other in the street and their clothes accidentally brush, because it means there must have been something between them in their past lives. I totally, totally love that. I mean, oh my God. And this has one of the most extraordinary final scenes I've seen in a long time. And I can talk about it a little bit because it's foreshadowed in the very first scene of the film. Uh, But when her friend comes and visits the U.S., she and he get together along with her husband, her white husband, so and they're all sitting at a bar and she begins conversing with him in Korean and the white husband can only understand some of it so he's just kind of sitting there awkwardly but also still part of the story but it's not to say that he doesn't belong there and it's not to say that she's cheating or anything like it's it's just these three these three lives coming together and it's exquisite and by the way I should mention Celine Song who's uh, wrote it has a best director nomination she also wrote and uh, I believe wrote and directed Endlings at the ART here a couple of years ago by the way I'm not laughing you. Can anybody see who's calling me in the middle of our is show? Marjorie? Marjorie. Why is she calling you right now? Let me ask you something. You think she knows? <laughs> no. We have a radio show. No, this is Marjorie Egan right calling. here calling me at 1230. <laughs> she's not calling three. to correct him, I'm sure. She's just calling oh to ask a quick question. God, that is, by the way, speaking, I love those stories where, you know, like it's 10 years. What's the name of that series of movies? There were like three movies. Oh, yeah. Where these, With Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke? Yes, Ethan Hawke. We had Ethan Hawke here a yeah, couple of years amazing. ago. He was fabulous. Yeah. So what are they called? Do you have any idea? After After Sunset. After oh, thank you. And after or before or yeah. later than yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Those are pretty great. Jared, I want to also ask you just quickly about Korean culture right now. Yeah. The past 10 years, it just has been taking over the world. Like in every single level of pop culture and high culture, Korea, I mean, you can't, Netflix is dominated by, Squid Game. by yep. and, 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 and the reality shows and the Korean romances. I mean, it is what an exciting time to be experiencing this culture. And, you know, who's tackling it? This is a, a good segue into the Museum of Fine Arts. It's about to have open a major exhibition basically looking at the intersection of Korean art and today's culture uh, because they have, you know, it's certainly enmeshed in the yep. art world now, too. I bet Marjorie's calling because she wants my martini recipe. <laughs> I have a really good one. I mean, do one. you find that odd? Or do you... I find it very I odd. I find it very <laughs> on brand for Marjorie Egan, actually. It's completely on brand. Okay, so there's a third movie in your troika here. <laughs> Jamie said next time you should pick it up and put it on the air. That's a great, <laughs> that's a great idea. Uh, poor things. What, what's uh, oh, that's R- Ruffalo or whatever. Is Mark it? Ruffalo. Ruffalo. Yeah. yeah. Emma Stone. What's this? I deal? Saw oh, this. and Emma Stone. Right. Yeah. yeah. The other night, this also has a, a huge number of Golden Globe nominations. It is so deranged and demented and hilarious. I loved. Practically every second of it. Here she reteams um, with uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, who wrote uh, The Favorite, which she starred oh, in with Olivia yes. Coleman. Oh my gosh. Love Olivia Coleman. Also from the same screenwriter who has written The Great. Uh, and who who wrote the favorite? The great is that uh, really hilarious TV show on Hulu. Yep, which is about great. Catherine the Great. Catherine yeah. the Great, which is amazing. 
And so we, uh, let me see if I can explain this it's, plot yeah. where... Well, it's a problem if you can't. You well, know what I mean? Little, it's a little difficult. It's kind of a Frankenstein story, actually, oh. where you yeah. have Willem Dafoe, who plays Dr. Godwin Baxter. He's God. And he finds this body of a woman who has just thrown herself off a bridge, mm. and he brings her back to his <laughs> surgical theater, and he implants... <laughs> the brain of her baby into her head, so her baby's Baby's brain brain. is in her adult body. And she is played, Bella Baxter is played by Emma Stone, and you find this woman, an adult woman, child mindset, but then she's going out into the world. First of all, she doesn't get to go out into the world. She's she's kept kept cloistered because she's a baby, which means she has her own independent thought, and she has her own views on life, so that when she finally goes out into the world with this cat, Duncan Wedderburn, played by Mark Ruffalo, Mm -hmm. uh, she's She's unfiltered. She wants to punch babies who are crying, and she wants to talk about sex openly after she discovers that there's a lot of sex when she discovers that. It sounds like AI, actually, to me. It sounds like she's representing AI. Well, yeah, it could be. It it doesn't occur to you in the film because it's set probably in the late 1800s, early 1900s, but it's hilarious, but it's also about her finding her own agency because of the way she, she was constructed and then grew up and then the way she takes in the world so it's and it, in addition to being just outlandish and hilarious and uh, there is a lot of sex so be warned uh, it's be warned, <laughs> warned. well in case you're bringing the, warning. in case, in case you're bringing you bring the your children mother, okay. your grandmother okay. let's go see a nice holiday okay, movie <laughs> Uh, maybe that's why Marjorie is calling. Maybe. <laughs> By the way, we have a con- Jamie reached out to her. It was an official butt dial oh, yeah. from Marjorie. The second she of the day. She is in line at Trader Joe's <laughs> and had no idea she called. <laughs> it's like second of the day. Some, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. We're talking about something. Poor sorry. things. Yeah, Marjorie, you want to get the blue cheese olives <laughs> while you're at Trader Joe's. That's key. Go ahead. Okay, so All right, why uh, don't we listen to a clip? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's Are hear a clip. Are you going to introduce it properly this time or not? I don't have to know because he talked about no, it. He so he no, he did. He did. So here is oh, he Bella sort of in yeah, Ruffalo. Poor These things. two are fighting and ideas are banging around in Bella's head and heart like lights in a storm. Oh. You're always reading now, Bella. You're losing some of your adorable way of speaking. I'm a changeable feast, as are all of we. Apparently, according to Emerson, disagreed with by Harry. Come, come, just come. You were in my son. See, mm. it's like talking to ChatGTP, basically. Right, right, exactly. It might be the best, by the way, that you've ever seen Mark Ruffalo. Really? Just give him the Oscar now. Pretty, do it. Just wow. Do it. Yep. Wow. Yeah. By the way, uh, Golden Globes, weren't, isn't that the, weren't they totally they're discredited back. for being all white? Yeah, mm-hmm. they're back. So what does that mean? They've kind of rehabilitated yeah. the organization. They, they took a year off. Yep. They all, they kind of disbanded, right? Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. And now they're back. So they have they've expanded their membership. They've worked on diversity. They've they've left NBC. They're actually now owned by Dick Clark Enterprises. No. So yep. it's not the Hollywood Foreign Press Association that was oh. in control of it before, and that was problematic because it wasn't diverse because they were taking bribes and the whole thing was a mess. So now they're trying to come back as a legit organization. Okay, so before we move on to the next uh, thing we have for you, which is an updating on this. Andrew Wyeth thing that someone bought for like a nickel and thought they sold for 200 grand and they didn't and you'll give us an update you, you're on the culture show correct? I am on the culture, on the culture show <laughs> and, you know, in fact I'm the host of the culture show you're the host show. of the culture yes. show which pretty much means you know everything about culture in our community oh, correct? I'm not falling into that trap we're getting a lot of outreach from people who want to know who is hosting First night in oh. Boston that's what people are asking could you tell us please? I, I don't know who's hosting I'm sorry, First Night what? I, 
Yeah. Is, first it, night is, is it Marjorie? Huge. No, first night is huge. Bro. I know, you know it. Yeah. So who's hosting? I don't know. Do you have any idea who's hosting? I'm hosting. Oh, oh that's me, right. Sue O'Connell and Kevin. Are you really? That is yes. very exciting. No, we are going to be on the stage for uh, first night. Thank you very much. Congratulations. It'll be broadcast on our NBC 10 Boston digital platform, so you can stay with us. My daughter Ruby is going to come no. and help by staying in the hotel room and watching me on TV, so she doesn't have to. By the way, you're sp- you have a co-host. You're supposed yes, to mention your co- Oh, you said Tevin that already. Wooten, our meteorologist is going to be with me. Wow. We're going to have a great time. How does this happen? Well, because Colt Bradford isn't available. That's how it happens. <laughs> but here I am. But Jim so. and Marjorie were available. Yeah, well, you know, you're going exactly. to get in there early. So you're going to so. do the Anderson, Eth- uh, Ethan, uh, yes, uh, Anderson, uh, Cooper, and um, Andy, Andy Cohen. Cohen. Isn't yes. it time to bring back? I mean, is she? I mean, is she going to be punished for the rest of her life? Yes. Isn't she Kathy a friend Griffin. of yours, by the way? Oh, Kathy Griffin. No, not, no. Oh, I thought you hung out with her. No, that was a mute. Well, no. Oh, that was okay. a mutual friend, though. Oh, who was it? Oh, him, yeah. We are on the radio. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, we can't say who was. Okay, so who's hosting first night, in case somebody asks? Sue O'Connell. Thank yes. you very much. That yes. is huge, by the way. I know. I'm really, really excited about it. Yes. That is a really big deal. I, I hope. Uh, last time I was Good on stage you. a couple of months ago, I fell. So I'm hoping <laughs> that doesn't happen again. Joe oh, Biden no. did, too. I, so well, we're three for three. Best, He's fallen three times. I've fallen three times. By the way, here's the headline. They have it already. Local woman host first night <laughs> falls off stage. Jamie wrote the there headline. You go. Okay, so can you go back to the beginning on this Andrew Wyatt thing? Because we've discussed this twice now. This will be the third, but there appears to be a happy ending. It's Christmas. It's yeah. a happy ending. Yay. It's a happy ending. Go ahead. So there was Is a, it Andrew Wyeth or I got the wrong Wyeth? Uh, N.C. Wyeth. N.C. The father. The father. Okay, yep. sorry. Okay. Well, there's two. Well, grandfather, actually. Oh, okay. Because then there was Andy, and then now there's Jamie Wyeth. Okay, sorry. Uh, so N.C. Wyeth had painted this piece for a book. And long story short, it ended up in a Savers in Manchester, New Hampshire. A woman bought it because she really liked the painting, and uh, she kept it on her wall for a while, and then really began to think about it and realized it could be something more. And actually, if you look at it on the back, it does say N.C. Wyeth. So it wasn't like it needed a ton of investigation, just to be clear. Uh, but anyway, she took it, had it evaluated, and they realized that yes, this actually was a painting that he had done, and she put it up for auction, and then something really strange happened, because this doesn't typically happen, but it sold at auction for six figures and then the buyer didn't pay. And that doesn't usually happen, but you can't necessarily. Because you have to guarantee vet. the payment up front, right? Yeah. Well, for huge things, oh, but I guess I guess okay. even a six-figure okay. bid isn't okay. that huge. So the, the the buyer didn't pay. So then they got the painting back. And fortunately, you have to love this couple who owned this work because they were very sincere about it. They never counted on the money. They never took it for granted. Uh, but lo and behold, it got a lot of attention, and someone from another auction house reached out to them. They didn't want to put it up for auction, but they did have a buyer who was interested. So it has now been sold and the money has been deposited in their account. And the check is cleared. And the check is cleared and they can buy a new dishwasher and go visit their son in Germany. That's the part I like the most. The first thing they did was call their son as they had done the first time and say we can now afford to come visit you. I love that part of the story. It's a very good ending, yeah. By the way, can I I was corrected before from Anne from Medway when I said the Pisco, as in the Pisco Martini from La Royale, uh, which just Esquire said one of the best martinis. I said was from Peru. And from Medway said it's Chile. The next texter, unsigned, said, Jim, you'll be happy to know you are right. While it is made in Chile, Pisco is originally from Peru. I'm not done. And Maria, not Maria Rondeau, who is from uh, La Royale, from Boston, says, I recently returned from Peru. The Pisco Sour is the national drink celebrated throughout the country. So for once, when I was wrong, I was not. And you were right. I was right. 
Yes. Exactly. And Sue O'Connell is hosting New Year's Eve. <laughs> exactly. Go, with some, what's the name of the guy you're so doing? Tevin Wooten. Was he going to do the weather he's, at this no, thing? No, he's, he's, he's an exceptional television person. He is? He really is. So I'm just going to have to stand there and look smart. And you're okay. going to have great entertainment. And yes. I don't know who at all is playing yet. Okay. Yes. Oh, I, that's a really good question. <laughs> yes. You don't know anything about it? No idea. I just got this assignment. That's good. That's I don't great. Know. Okay. Fine. Oh, today? Did you get it today? Yesterday. Okay. Yesterday. Well, it's sort of just now. Now, uh, we don't really have time to talk about the Shores and Carousel. Does it have to be talked about today? No. Nope. Nope. Good. So, next time. so as a result, you have unlimited amounts of time <laughs> to describe exactly what you're doing on the Culture Show, which you may be aware airs at 2 o'clock right, finally right after our show. And Friday, you may be aware, is when you do sort of like the Week in Review thing. You know that? It is our Week in Review. Yeah, what are you doing? So we are going to be talking... We have a lot of really interesting issues today. First of all, there is uh, the conviction this week of Jonathan Majors, who mm-hmm. was a rising action Boy. star, key to the Marvel Universe... That, end of career kind of thing. End of career now. Domestic violence conviction. Yes, in New York. Terrible story when you read the details. Yes, it is. Uh, and this has done all, not only a, a huge amounts of damage to the woman he mistreated and is now convicted of abusing and assaulting, uh, but the Marvel Universe was already imperiled. They, I think they recognized that they stretched themselves too thin. They were banking so much of their future on this one particular movie with Jonathan Majors. That has come to an end, so we'll talk about that. Uh, Speaking of endings, uh, Bryant Gumbel has ended uh, his sports show, Mm -hmm. so we'll talk about the legacy he had there in sports journalism. And then this very strange story about the the debut author who went on Goodreads. Did you hear about this? And she went on Goodreads and created all of these various fan accounts to promote the novel of hers that hadn't even been released yet. But then she used these... You don't want to laugh yet, Jamie, because she used these accounts to take down other authors. Yes. She so, used them to attack. And people have been complaining to Goodreads for a long time now, saying there is a lot of abuse that's happening on this, and it's very much to the detriment of authors, so we'll talk oh. about that. Too. Yeah. So I, when you, which part of the show are you talking about first night? Where are you doing that? <laughs> We're gonna, I am going to race in an Uber back to GBH so we can reformat the show and talk about Sue O'Connell. Is that it for the show? And we'll... Yeah. we'll Posit who she should have as entertainment. Can I ask you one question about yeah. this Marvel Universe business? Is do you think we now are at a point where, um, no matter what the stakes are for the movie for the universe, that if an actor misbehaves in such a criminal way, that they actually will get dropped? Because there are other, you know, there's Flash. There's a whole bunch of movies out there with people who have behaved badly. You know, I, I think. Money drives so much of it, yeah. and they have. I think Hollywood weighs it case by case. This was a, an especially yes. horrible case, and so they couldn't move past and criminally it. Criminally found, but money drives yeah. everything, especially in Hollywood. Now, by the way, there's a question from a texter showing the car. Obviously, since you know nothing about First Night, you can't answer this. But you, you're co-hosting First Night. Is that I am correct? indeed co-hosting. Will first the night. coyote be making a guest Absolutely. appearance <laughs> at First Absolutely. Night? Absolutely, I'll be dressed as a coyote, <laughs> and I will be howling at that'd midnight, be huge at, at the, the moon. moon at the moon. You should be selling stickers and sweatshirts and everything. I'll get on that that. SD and get it going right now. Thank you, Jared. Uh, Jared, uh, the show's great. I mean, the show is really... I've heard a lot of great feedback about this. And I usually don't like other shows doing well. So uh, it's been troubling to me on one hand, but I actually, I've really, the feedback's been fabulous. Congratulations well, to you, Callie, Edgar, Chelsea, everybody. It's been yeah, great. Congratulations. Thank you. Two o'clock today and every day. Here he is, Jared Bone. Bye. Right. Happy holidays. Happy holiday to you, too. All right, coming up after a quick break, Boston Medical Center's Dr. Catherine Gergen Barnett joins us. You're listening to Boston Public Radio 89.7 GBH.
Trusted. Local. News. You're listening to 89.7 WGBH, HD1 Boston, online at gbhnews.org. GBH News with NPR. What matters to you. Welcome back to Boston Public Radio. Jim Browdy with Sue O'Connell. Marjorie's off. Marjorie will probably be calling again any minute. <laughs> We're live from the library, streaming on YouTube.com slash GBH News, Facebook.com slash GBH News. Reminder, no uh, library next week because their shows are on tape. They're best ofs. We're back here at the library on Tuesday, January 2nd. And we have the governor on the 9th here and the mayor on the 16th here. Is that not right? 9th and 16th. And we return on the 2nd. We're joined now on Zoom by somebody who looks like she was going to a different place than this show, <laughs> let me tell you. Dr. Catherine Gergen Barnett really dressed up for Christmas. Vice Chair of Primary Care Innovation and Transformation at Boston Medical Center. Is he she spelling says almonds? She, what's that? She's in person. I'm in person. What did I say? Okay. You said Zoom. But oh, it's Zoom. A, it's a very real life Can we start Zoom. this over again? <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're joined now, not on Zoom, by Dr. Catherine Gergen. This is like at the end of, uh, what's the name of the movie where he says, F you, San Diego? It's, <laughs> What's Anchorman. Anchorman? Thank you very much. I'll read anything they put in front I know, of me. I know. Can we try it a third time? Oh, Please. Boy, you look very nice, nice, Catherine. Thank you. In any case, we're joined now in person by Dr. Catherine Gergen Barnett, who knows how to make a Pisco sour, she just told me. Vice Chair of Primary Care Innovation and Transformation at <laughs> Boston Medical Center, Associate Professor at Boston University Medical School, and an Aspen Institute Health Innovators Fellow. Hello, Doctor. Good nice day. to see Hello. you. Hello. So wonderful seeing you in person. person. And yes. you too. Yes. And you as well. <laughs> All right, so it's the holiday season. I yes. was out with my family last night. Yes. I have been practicing restraint so that I don't just, you know, mouth off and talk about things. We start talking about vaccines, yes. who's been vaccinated, who's had their flu shot and their yes. COVID shot. I've had both. My kid has both. A member of my family said, oh, I got the flu shot, but I'm just not up for oh, the COVID shot. You know, it. and I'm like, well, mm, okay, well, you know, and, yeah. and the Fatigue, and I, I made my yeah. big statement that I heard from, uh, might have been you, I'm not sure, that you know, vaccination and sanitation have saved civilization over yes. and over again, yep. so let's wash our hands, yeah. use a bathroom, and get vaccinations. Yeah. And then I went back to my tacos. Why are people getting their vaccinations, doctor? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, let me just say, uh, I will say that I actually was originally going to be in Zoom because last week I did have COVID-19 because I've been tested negative times two and came out, you know, after five days of isolation in part because of my vaccine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will say that... uh, we know, I know, as a primary care doctor, it's incredibly challenging to get people vaccinated right now against COVID-19. We have less than 18% of people in our state are vaccinated, which is, um, you know, thinking about we are up to 85 plus percent uh, 2021. Um, we know there's fatigue uh, is a huge part of it. I think that people who have gotten ill think, okay, I'm covered now. Um, you know, Part of what I was just saying to somebody yesterday when I saw them in the clinic was we do flu every year, and the same thing is how we're going to be talking about COVID-19. You need to stay up to date. Your, um, you know, the ability for you to fight this virus will go down. So I think that people, um, I know that we're doing a great job in the state putting money towards ads, things like that. I do not think we are 
explaining the basic things very well still, which is that your immunity goes down and you need to boost it. That's the whole point of a booster for any illness. I think there were two challenges as well. One was getting, uh, I didn't want to get my flu and COVID shot at the same time. And I had been knocked down. The Why not? I've just, I just was trying to be cautious. Okay. I don't know what if I made it up or not, but I just felt it would be better to get, and I staggered them and I didn't have any reaction to the COVID booster. Yep. But there were also reports of the, you know, uh, pharmacies canceling appointments because they didn't have, you know, there seemed to be more hoops almost to get through it. Yeah. Than yeah. the last booster. There are way less hoops now. Yeah. Um, we are recommending people get it with a, their other vaccines. Mm-hmm. There's no um, ill effect of getting it with your other vaccines. For If you're already there, just get it done. Um, we know that this, there's this JN1 variant that has come out. It's, it's like 23% of what's in the wastewater right now. And that is what's picking up um, and will come out, I think, out of these holidays. You know, not to be a downer, I think you guys were talking about movies and shows and, and Pisco. And, um, but, but I do think that this is just an important public health messaging that there are lots of vaccines available. Um, please, not just... COVID-19, but the flu and RSV, which we talked about last time I was here, is really the triple pandemic uh, that we know we're at risk of. I have a couple of questions yeah. for you. So Absolutely. is the is the decision that people are stupidly making not to get the uh, COVID uh, booster, or as Art Kaplan says, don't even call it a booster. It's part of the regimen where yeah. you're COVID shot. Is yeah. it trickling down the flu, meaning are people are fewer people getting the flu vaccine because they're in a non-vaccine feeling kind of way? We we see it less so um, that kind of tri- trickle down effect in Massachusetts, but absolutely nationally, we are seeing less uptake of basic vaccines. And now we're having larger gaps of things like measles, mumps, rubella, all the things that, you know, we have known for 50, 60 plus years to be the cornerstone of public health. Um, So part of it is what Governor Baker did, um, which was very successful in his tenure, was thinking about these ambassadors um, where you have neighborhood uh, kind of leaders who are going out and talking about the importance of public health measures. I know Healy and her team have been really thinking about some of these things and put great funds towards it. But how do we actually get back into the community and just walk the sidewalk and talk to people about the importance of not just COVID-19, but all vaccines? So, oh, go, you go ahead. Yeah, I'd say, is, yeah. is some of the challenge that the, the hard time folks are getting, and we've talked about this a yeah. number of times, to your primary care doctor sure. because of the shortage of primary care doctors, the, the long wait time to get, you know, you have to book your ne- next I went annual. to Walgreens. I didn't go. Yeah, no, but, but we often say talk to your doctor about it, oh, right? Yeah. And okay. that's sort of the advice that you give folks. Yeah. But, you know, they're overwhelmed with email from the patient portals. They're right. being buried. That's why we want AI to answer them. I mean, is there, is there another step here that maybe folks can think, yeah, I, I can just go to Walgreens and go get a shot? Yeah, I mean, I think part of what you're alluding to, you know, absolutely, Jim, you're right. You can go anywhere, and that's why CVS, Walgreens, they're all great partners for us in this kind of work. But fundamentally, I think what you're getting to is the conversation around trust that people have when they have with a primary care physician. I will have people who come to me and say, Doc, what should I do? 
tell me what I should do. I trust you, right? And so that's the conversation mm-hmm. that we can have. And I can't have that with every single one of my patients. Well, yes, maybe, but not certainly larger populations. So part of it is, again, how do we train the trainers? How do we get people in the community that other people trust? This is not um, something that you need a medical degree for. It's really about being informed what the public health measures are and how do we communicate and how do we build trust. Okay, so last question on COVID-related yeah. thing. Marge and I were lucky enough, we mentioned, we did the uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas of the Holiday Pops the other night, which is beyond huge fun. And as I'm sitting there, and by the way, a packed house at Symphony Hall and yep. Keith Lockhart and the orchestra just do a brilliant, I mean, mm. such a fun event. And this is from a non-fun guy. <laughs> it, I'm serious. It is really fun. I'm saying to myself, in the second uh, act or whatever they call it, I'm looking around, like two people have masks on, packed to the gills. Is this a super spreader event? So I know no one wants to hear this. So apologies in advance. When you're in a movie theater, you're at the symphony, you're at first night. Well, that's outside, right? Uh, The Mariah Carey concert, like I was Mariah Carey you went to. Should people be wearing masks or is that? I I think that people, it's going back to the thing. If you you know you're higher risk, please put a mask on. Um, I will say, by the way, hospitals, though, across the state have started to put out new recommendations and new mandates for healthcare workers. So Boston Medical Center, where I work, just yesterday released a statement that starting today, when we're in the hospital seeing patients, inpatient and outpatient, we need to wear masks. But what's so interesting is that every hospital has a different requirement, right? So if you're thinking about what does it mean to across even just one state have um, some sort of public health measures that everybody's doing, we don't see that now. So how do we actually make sure everybody's on the same page? You know, Um, uh, uh, Catherine, one of your great attributes is you are a great spokesperson for non-health things being critical to good health. Yes. You wrote a piece for The Globe a couple of years about the housing yes. part of this thing. There is this program, this teaching kitchen, food is medicine thing, originating yeah. out of your operation. Yeah. Can you explain to people what uh, it is? It's, bril- it's beautiful and I was and so brilliant. happy you all wanted to talk about yeah, this. So, so um, you know, uh, again, Boston Medical Center is not unique in this, but we do have a very unique spot called the Teaching Kitchen. Um, it's beautiful. It's actually right in uh, the cafeteria where everybody comes and it's all glass walls. So even if you're coming just to get a, you know, a soup, um, you know, and have no intention of being part of a teaching class, you can see what's going on. We can actually refer patients for teaching class, uh, sorry, for cooking classes um, at this kitchen. Uh, We get, um, we actually have a rooftop garden, so we actually get fruits and vegetables from there, especially when they're obviously in season. Um, But the Boston um, Greater Food Bank also donates a lot of food to us. And we get people in with certain illnesses. There was an article about, kids and families, um, especially with anemia, uh, and, and how you think about, you know, what foods can you cook that are good for iron if you're pregnant or if you have a kid with anemia. So it's really thinking about how do we use a basic thing, you know, that we've had for thousands of years, which is our food, and use it to actually treat illnesses or augment the treatment for illnesses in a safety net hospital where people are not always going to have access to this kind of thing. You know, whenever I hear a great idea, oh, it's Marjorie Cole. No, it's not Marjorie. Calling in. When I hear a great idea like this, after I get over the initial 
boy, that's fabulous. The second thing I immediately go to, which I'm sure you do too, is how replicable is this? Yeah. And then I think I read, you made a grant to yeah. Nubian Market. We had the guy on who runs yes. Nubian Market yes. maybe yep. a few months ago. It's great. Yeah. Is What's going on there? Um, so... To the first part of your question, this is absolutely replicable. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm part of a greater collaborative, a national collaborative, where we're doing teaching kitchens around the country oh, well, and doing great. studies on the outcomes on you know basic chronic illnesses. But the Nubian market thing is so phenomenal because, again, it's taking what we know, which is like great health interventions need to be taken outside the walls of a hospital and a clinic and brought to the community. So to be brought into a place like Nubian market, it, and again, take health outside of the walls of healthcare um, is a perfect way to do it, right? And 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 also doing some of the teaching um, uh, kitchens there, so people can come in, they can buy food from the market um, and use it there. And then it's very also ethnocentric, so it's you know related to people's. And what's the response been to the folks that you you're working with? Oh, phenomenal! I mean. Really, it's one of their favorite things to go to. And actually, the physician who um, was quoted, um, Dr. Sabarwal, is when she talked about it as the first thing she did in residency, she was, I was the program uh, director for her when I introduced all the interns to that teaching kitchen because the idea is like, okay, you're coming in to be a physician, but the first thing you're going to need to do is how do you cook? And how do you teach patients about nutrition? How do you teach? The story opens in the... By the way, remind me, we have a vaccine question for uninsured. Sure. I want to get back to yes, in a second please. on text. Is how do you... The story opens with a mother remarking, I think I got this right, that her kid actually is asking for spinach. I know. And so best. part of it is not just training the, the cook yeah. how to cook healthy things and how yeah. to be able to afford them, but how to... Is part of the program convincing the kid who wants like a Twinkie, that a spinach can actually be good? Yeah, I mean, part of it is we we know, right, that our learned behavior is when you make something, you're excited about making something and you get to taste it. Like a lot of our patients haven't necessarily had the opportunity to have some of these different tastes. Then they actually have pride in the experience of making That's the great. food, yeah, right? Great. And then have an exposure to a new taste, uh, which may change their taste buds forever. I will so, never forget when I had spinach not in a can for the first time. From a can? Not from a can. Not from a can. <laughs> I didn't know that you... Uh, so this, Popeye. Popeye, exactly. There are a ton of uh, questions. I'm only, we only have time for one. Sally from Roslindale. But the vaccine is no longer free for the uninsured. Is that true? It is, uh, it is increasingly becoming true, but I want to tie this to what we had just talked about in terms of enrollment to make sure that people know. Oh, it's the ACA deal? Yes. Go ahead, tell people okay, about it. Because I, I, I want to you know, continue to use our time together to um, t- not just talk about the gaps, but how do we bridge those mm-hmm. gaps? And so the ACA uh, story that Jim is alluding affordable to, care Affordable Act, Care, care right. um, is saying that actually there's a huge upswell in people signing up for the affordable care, um, in, in part because, as we know, Medicaid has unfortunately been dropping people off of their roles. Um, we are working, you know, we being, I think the country is working to make sure that they are not, um, you know, truly eligible for Medicaid and still being dropped off. But actually on December 15th, I think there was like thousands, how many people, I wrote it down because it was so remarkable, Remarkable to me. 745,000 people yep. right. in one day. 
enrolled in the Affordable Care Act, which is more than had ever been enrolled since the beginning, so since Obama rolled it out. So the fact is, is we know that this is an incredibly affordable option um, for health care coverage. And, I, and, and again, we're very lucky to live in a place like Massachusetts where MassHealth, um, you know, I have a patient who comes to see me, they don't have insurance, and they can get that that day before they come oh, wow. and see me. So yeah. uh, I know you're here as a doctor, yeah. not a politician, but you are part of this democracy. Yes, the Affordable Care Act is probably more po- uh, popular now than it has ever been. People Correct. understand its benefits. Yes. There was a guy who's running for president, who's the yes. front runner on the Republican side, yes. who has promised to repeal it and continues yes. to promise it. Yes. And there's a guy on, who is the president who was on the team that helped make Obamacare a reality. Yes. When was the last time Joe Biden even mentioned? Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm missing it. The when he got up care. on the ladder to decorate that Christmas tree, he thought, boy, I hope I have Obamacare in case I fall. <laughs> right. I mean, you I'm know? serious. Does the yeah. average person even get, get it? Get the I mean, connection. Yeah. And by the way, you should yeah. say, while well, people around the country are urging this, that is not true, doctor, because there are a ton of red states still where sadistic, cruel governors have decided not even to accept Medicaid expansion, which That's means true. in most cases millions right. of people in your yes. state will be covered who were not at virtually no expense yes. to you or your government because the vast majority of it's paid for yes. by the feds. Yes, thank you. Thank you for clarifying that there are ten over 10 states yeah. that do not have Medicaid expansion. Um, and, and you are right. I was not alluding to them specifically. But that's a very deep and important point. And I, I do think this whole Affordable Care Act and tying it to health outcomes absolutely has to be a platform for for Biden. And, you know, and the fact that that is not um, part of it, again, for me, it's tied to everybody's so tired of thinking about health and health care and how do we keep ourselves healthy, which is, you know, actually more important than ever, uh, that I worry it's become a kind of verboten topic, mm-hmm. right? And, and I actually think how do we kind of destigmatize it to talk about what's good for the American public. And my understanding is, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's surely not my area of expertise, even if there's a marketplace like there is in Massachusetts, afford- the Affordable Care Act is still something worth investigating, even if you're a Bay State resident Absolutely. looking for affordable health care. Absolutely, yes. So go to healthcare.gov um, if you are looking for coverage. Um, and it, it's uh, incredibly affordable and, and gives good coverage as All well. All right. Dr. Catherine Gergen Barnett, let's talk about people who do like to talk about being sick, hypochondriacs. Oh, okay, goodness. We're, these sh- are we're Uber, going there. These are huh? Uber we're going there. We're going to go there, okay. we're gonna go there okay. quickly. There's I didn't a, know. There's yes. a Swedish study that yes. finds a higher death rate in those who fear serious illness. I would like to counter this yes. by saying not only is Jim a, a semi-hypochondriac, semi. but he's also right. I have right. a lot of doctors on he's call. Right including Dr. Gergen Barnett, by the way. I helped Don't tamper, tamper his fears. She's helped me a few times. Yes. I have two other examples. My daughter, when she was little, and I'm not sharing anything she hasn't shared, always said she had her kneecaps moved, her kneecaps moved, her kneecaps moved, and everybody dismissed it. And of course, she has Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, oh, which is a soft tissue disease, yeah. which makes your yes. syndrome, makes your, your kneecaps, kneecaps move. Move. Yeah. I had a coworker once who complained all the time about being sick. Turns out she had thyroid yep. issues, right? Are these people just, do you think, super sensitive and they're dying earlier because they were going to anyway? Or do you think yeah. that the, yeah. the mindset of, yeah. you know, I'm sick 
causes the body to non non-stop anxiety kills yeah. you. I mean, it's, it's well, right. Uh, so, no? so, so, a hundred percent. I think anxiety <laughs> is a huge part of the early death of these people. I will say that is really important for all of us to say. You know, I, I think it's you know we're very quick to say hypochondriasis, like oh, you're it's in your mind, right? And this is connected actually to the cancer, colon cancer yep. that we were talking about, and and you know a rise in colon cancer rates and people less than 55 years of age, in part because, you know, people were saying, oh, you can't possibly have colon cancer. You're young. And, you know, it's sort of this idea of like, trust what people are saying about their body first. We should always do that. People are the experts of their body. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hypochondriasis in this case, and why could be done, this paper could be done in Sweden, is they actually have a very (laughs) specific diagnosis in Sweden where they have done everything and truly nothing has come back and they have healthcare and really good coverage um, and truly nothing has come back and they actually have unlike us they actually have a code where they write hypochondriasis so they could do this study we do not have that code we do not put it up as part of our ICD-9 or 10 codes so what they found though for for you know comparing people who were just had hypochondriasis and nothing else compared to the cohort, they actually had 20, uh, what was it? They were much more ra- um, higher uh, rate of suicide, actually, four times higher rate of suicide, and they died five years younger um, than their comparative um, cohort. But I absolutely agree, Jim. You know, the power of the mind is 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 very real. And if you're living with constant anxiety that something is going on with you, that in fact, in and of itself, creates health risks. Yeah, that's that why I try to get an that MRI every week. Me you get too. an MRI, exactly. and that's you find out if something's wrong, and you deal with <laughs> I'm it. I'm right there with you. Get a clean bill of health. Of state. Exactly. In all seriousness, what you what are you really like Christmas looking kind yeah. of thing? What are you I, dressed up for? Um, I just to see you guys. You know, wow. when you're in isolation for five days, <laughs> oh. it, it feels really you good to two days come ago. out. And yeah, you know, two days ago I was out and I was seeing okay. patients. Uh, but it's nice to be out in the world. You and, look fabulous. Uh, yeah, it's good Spread to be with you. Guys. Really in the and Thank you, Dr. Catherine Gergen Barnett. Great to see Joining you. Joining us, Dr. Gergen Barnett is the vice chair of primary care innovation and transformation at the Boston Medical Center, associate professor at Boston University Medical Center, and an Aspen Institute Health Innovators. Fellow, we're going to take a quick break and then it's time for On the Docket with retired federal judge Nancy Gertner, our final guest of 2023. And of course, we're going to talk about the Colorado election case, the Supreme Court, and so much more. So don't go away. You're listening to Boston Public Radio 89.7 WGBH. Welcome back. I'm eating, which you're not supposed to do. Okay, how are you, Sue? I'm good. Welcome back. Say something for a couple of seconds. <laughs> no, I want to hear you kind of smack around over there. Thank you. Welcome back to Boston Public Radio, Jim Browdy, and that would be Sue O'Connell in for Marjorie, who's apparently yeah. in line at uh, Trader Joe's. With her phone in her back pocket. Apparently. We're live from the library streaming at youtube.com slash GBH News, facebook.com slash GBH News. We're off next week. Some really great uh, interviews, segments will be played. We will return to the library and to live radio on January 2nd. 
of uh, next year. Joined on Zoom by Nance Gertner, retired federal judge, senior lecturer at Harvard Law School, and a regular BPR contributor. Judge Gertner, it's great to see you. Good to be here again. Lots going on, Judge. A lot of things we have to talk about. We want to hit on Colorado. We want to hit on the immunity of a president. We want to hit on January 6th. But can, can you help folks understand this Colorado ruling that's um, uh, knocking Trump off the ballot for now? Um, it's obviously uh, uh, going to disqualify him for being on the ballot. Could open the door for other states knocking him off. But there's a lot of hurdles here. What's what's the basic of this case? What, why were they this court able to, this judge to to decide that? Well, the, the general framework. So the general issue is uh, after the Civil War. The uh, the 14th Amendment included a provision that kept officers, people who had sworn allegiance to the United States and then participated in an insurrection or gave even aid and comfort to the enemy uh, uh, to keep them from being uh, officials again, from running for office again. Um, it, it really has, for the most part, with one exception, not been used since the Civil War. And the question is, what did the language mean? What did, the, did it require a conviction? What kind of proceeding to determine if somebody was involved in an insurrection? And then to whom did it apply? It listed uh, officials, but did not specifically name the president of the United States. So the Colorado trial court is, had two parts to it. One part to it was the trial judge found in after five days of hearing and relying in part on the January 6th findings that Trump had indeed participated in an insurrection and a rebellion within the meaning of the statute and made findings to that effect. This is the lower court. But the lower court said that the, the language of the uh, constitutional provision did not apply to the president of the United States. The Colorado Supreme Court in a 4-3 decision, a very lengthy decision, and in my view, a very scholarly decision uh, that adopted uh, the reasoning of Larry Tribe and Judge Ludig and of uh, conservative scholars that, in fact, adopted the fact findings that Trump had participated in an insurrection and concluded that the 14th Amendment applied to the president since he, the former president, since he had taken an oath of loyalty to the United States and then participated in an insurrection. It's a, a blockbuster decision, which is clearly headed uh, directly for the Supreme Court. Other courts around the country found otherwise on a whole variety of, uh, of grounds, technical grounds. Um, so this is the first major appeals court decision that really aligns with what many conservative scholars and major constitutional scholars have concluded. So I, you didn't need you didn't need a trial. It was clear that these findings were sufficient to knock him off the ballot. So I have two two follow up questions. One is so now that two two courts have said that he is an Trump is an insurrectionist. Does that make him an insurrectionist? And secondly, if and when this goes to the Supreme Court, my understanding of of reading about it is to your point that a lot of conservative uh, folks who like to think about what the, the founding fathers were thinking about when they wrote the Constitution, they didn't mean to exclude the president of the United States, any president, from being an officer of the United States. So it's going to be a hard box for some of these conservative judges to be in if they believe in the original text of the Constitution. Well, uh, if the, the Supreme Court is 
going to have to grapple with this. Um, and I mean, so let's start with the fact findings. Uh, the fact findings of the trial court, courts, the higher court are not bound to accept these particular track, plac, fact findings. They are called mixed law and fact fact findings. It's a little technical, but they're not bound to accept it, but they're very strong. And they're based on lengthy proceedings in the January 6th committee and additional findings that the lower court made. And it's the sort of the most elaborate statement of Trump's participation in an insurrection that we have had. The second question, which is the application of this provision to the president, is a question of law. And as you said, interpreting the plain language of the 14th Amendment, of this section of the 14th Amendment. And the, if one is a strict constructionist, as many on the court say they are, one would have to conclude that the president fits within it. There are general categories of those who have sworn to uphold the Constitution and they talk about officers of the United States. And the fact that they have named some doesn't necessarily mean that the category isn't broader than that. But perhaps the best indication of Trump's fitting under this is really an article that was written by two very conservative scholars, one of whom I served with on the White House Commission, who's a originalist, a strict constructionist, who, who uh, in a law review article, lengthy law review article, said clearly applies to Trump and Trump should be disqualified. So the, the, clearly the, the you know, liberal position is that he should be disqualified, but conservatives are split. And if the court is going to go by the language of the amendment and go by, frankly, the purpose of the 14th Amendment at disqualification, which was if you if you rebelled against the United States, you couldn't then run for office in the United States. So if one is going to be true to the language and the purpose and the history of this provision of the 14th Amendment, you'd affirm the Colorado Supreme Court. So, uh, Judge Gertner, my initial position after I heard this, because I operate under the assumption that most of these kinds of cases, the justices decide what they want the outcome to be, and they figure out how to get there. Uh, so based upon that approach to the Supreme Court, my first thought was uh, there is going to be a nine-to-nothing rejection of the Colorado Supreme Court, including the three liberals, because there's going to be worry that there's going to be riots in the streets if uh, uh, the decision is affirmed. That's what the liberals vote. The six conservatives do it because they're six, for the most part, right-wingers. I woke up the next day and I changed my mind after reading a piece by David Frum in The Atlantic, who obviously I assume people know was the speechwriter for, for George W. Bush, in which, and I, unfortunately I don't have it in front of me, but he basically said... If the conservatives on the court, obviously this excludes the lunatics like Alito and Thomas. I think he was writing about the other four conservatives. If they believe they can get away with it, whatever that means, that they will use this opportunity to save the democracy and uh, affirm what the Colorado Supreme Court did. And then he didn't write this, but the assumption is then other uh, state courts, appellate courts would feel it's okay to follow the lead of Colorado, and essentially he disappears from the ballot. What's your political analysis of how they approach this case? Well, they're in a, they're in a bit of a bind, and they're in a bind because uh, uh, I don't see that there is a way that they can decline review 
right? I think that they, this is an interpretation of a federal constitutional sure. provision, and um, there are inconsistent positions all across the country. I don't see that there's a way that they can say, uh, never mind. They can with respect to some of the other cases that are making their way up, wait for the Court of Appeals, et cetera. Uh-huh. But this is, gonna, this is gonna be one that they're gonna have to take. I'm torn. I'm very torn, Jim. I mean, I, um, I'm torn. I don't know how to describe it any other way. I think that the right decision is the Colorado Supreme Court decision. Um, uh, but um, whether they'll be able to somehow, I want to say, pull the trigger on this, I have, I have no idea. Um, I, I think that uh, you know, I mean, it, it, as I've said on television the other night, it was a Bush v. Gore moment on steroids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there is a there is a substantial decision that they can write interpreting this provision and affirming the Colorado um, Supreme Court. They could, um, um, you know, they could they could uphold the fact findings, which would be devastating, and then conclude that because the president isn't named formally in the 14th Amendment provision, that that's the end of the analysis. That would be, in my view, a disingenuous decision, but they could do that. Um, And then there's a conversation that you and I have had for like a year, which is whether Clarence Thomas should participate in this at all, since it's not just a question of his wife supporting the, you know, the the big lie about the, the 2020 election. It's also the fact that his wife was a participant in at least the ellipsis, the ellipse of discussion, you know, yeah. of the speeches. Yeah. Uh, she, didn't go to, she didn't go to Capitol Hill, but she was right. at the speech. Yeah. I mean, I, it is unimaginable if I, if I could think of, a, of an analogous situation where, you know, my husband was a participant in any way in the case in front of me. I would have been out of it. Um, that would mean that, you'd, you know, you'd wind up with an eight member court. And there are all sorts of possibilities of it splitting in weird ways. So I, I want to say that I know, but I have no idea. <laughs> OK, so there are two more issues relating to Trump's candidacy we want to get to in one minute as quickly as we can. But staying on this issue, one of the discussions you and I had about Clarence Thomas was how disappointed I was in the three liberal justices signing on to the original letter to the Senate Judiciary Committee, basically saying, don't worry, we're going to deal with this ethics thing. And I was saying to you, why don't they tell what I consider to be the truth, that it's a disgrace that people like Thomas are as unethical as they are and it puts a taint on everything. And you made the point, if I may summarize your position, they have to work together, etc. But Clarence Thomas never works with anybody else except people who have his extreme right-wing views. Why don't the Supreme, why don't the justices on these issues. This goes so clearly to the integrity of the court. Not only should he recuse himself for, himself for the reason you mentioned, we learned this week, thanks to ProPublica, years ago, he puts out the word in conservative circles he's going to have to resign because he doesn't make enough money on the Supreme Court. What a shock. Billionaires whose cases come before the Supreme Court donate money to, to him. I mean, does it get any more unethical and more conflicted than this? Why don't people on the court stand up and say to the American people, this cannot stand up with our colleague? In a, in a situation in which there is no higher authority than our court, in other words, there is no appellate review right, right. of ethics, then were they to do that, and he says, go pound sand, right. 
the court will simply be fall apart. I mean, it would be completely dysfunctional at that point. It would lack all legitimacy. Um, I, um, you know, I appreciate what you're saying, but if there's not going to be a way to resolve it beyond amongst the nine of them, then the one could only hope that there are things going on in the background. Now, the the, the ethical uh, code that the court released a couple of months ago is very interesting because it gives all sorts of uh, uh, wiggle room. In one sense, it was a code that enabled exactly what Thomas is doing mm-hmm. to continue. There are all sorts of exceptions, and particularly for recusal, uh, there the Roberts takes the position that you know, that anyone, they have to, Thomas would have to participate to make sure there isn't a 4-4 split. To which the like, the best answer is, let me see if I've got this right. The person who is this compromised then ha- should be the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with that picture? Well, you know, uh, I, I don't want to belabor this, but, you know, you're saying they don't want to create, make more dysfunction. There's a federal judge who I can't remember, who I think years ago was the only federal judge who had the courage to testify in front of Congress about cameras in the courtroom, <laughs> putting the spotlight on every one of her colleagues in the country. Who is that, by the way? Me. Yeah, exactly <laughs> my point. Uh, while we have you, the immunity argument from... Trump's people that I'm immune for everything I did was well, it's so ridiculous to me, unless you feel otherwise, we don't have to spend time and you're not saying we do. So can you spend a minute on the thing that really makes me nervous, this January 6th obstruction thing? And because not only would it dramatically affect a lot of the prosecution of Trump, it appears to me at least as a, I was going to say, a, I'm not really, a, well, whatever as a half-assed lawyer, that it would Lapsed have... Lawyer. Lapsed, Lapsed lawyer. thank you. That it would have horrible impact on the convictions of hundreds of people who are January 6th, were January 6th defendants and now uh, convicted January 6th defendants. Could you briefly describe well, what it well, is? I, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, the, the civil libertarian criminal defense lawyer in me appreciates a body of law that the Supreme Court actually has been uh, promulgating, limiting very vague criminal statutes that have, you know, looped into them people who probably should not have been, Mm -hmm. um, uh, who should not have been looped into them. So I like the notion of them strictly interpreting criminal statutes. The obstruction statute, it's true. The first provision of it says it's really talking about destroying evidence derived from Enron. But the second part of it is very general. And so one interpretation that would exclude the January 6th defendants and exclude the former president is that somehow your obstruction has to be related to the destruction of evidence, et cetera, et cetera. The other interpretation, which I think uh, is, is that it has to at least be it can be related to any kind of official proceeding. Um, I actually think that even if the January 6th defendants get the benefit of a ruling from the Supreme Court, it is not entirely clear to me that it would eliminate what Trump is talking about. Because Trump, the whole conspiracy in the, in the D.C. case is about directly is about false electors, yeah. is about signing documents that were false, and is about, uh, you know, not just obstruction in general, but interfering with a particular proceeding. Um, in other words, Trump's accusations come 
closer to what the you know to to the to manipulating evidence, manipulating paper, um, and interfering with the proceeding than perhaps the guys who came into the Capitol and just were generally mm. supporting the um, uh, you know what was going on, generally supporting delaying the vote. So I I'm not entirely sure that while it could hurt the January sixth defendants, I'm not entirely sure that it eliminates um, the case against. Trump at all because his is really about fraudulent paper and interfering uh-huh. directly in a proceeding. I might add, I can't tell you the numbers of people that I sentenced to prison for interfering with an immigration proceeding or interfering with a court proceeding. So the S- Supreme Court has to deal with the fact that yeah. this statute has been applied in this way for decades. Judge Gardner, we're going to stay with the Supreme Court, but uh, switch gears to the challenge to uh, the abortion pill access that the Supreme Court announced it will decide whether or not it will be uh, available. Um, and, you know, people keep talking about this rightly as uh, an abortion pill and an abortion access issue. I keep talking about this as an FDA issue uh, and also um, what this does for politicizing uh, science in terms of a drug that has been on the market used for a long time, in my understanding, not for ending um, pregnancies, but for ulcers that they found out actually uh, then went on to uh, be a useful abortion pill. Um, We're talking about mifestristone. What do you think will happen? Is my interpretation of this correct, that the, the, the justices will look at it as more than just an abortion access issue, or are we going to see another split of the conservatives moving forward in making abortion um, restrictions uh, more uh, broader? Well, it's it's hard to know. I I don't understand why they took the case. So that's already a troubling sign. Um, But you're right. I mean, ultimately, this is about a medication. And it's about a, a, a drug that the FDA has approved for decades and that has been found to be safe for a number of purposes. And the question is whether they're going to now, many years after the fact, you know, second guess the FDA approval as they are second guessing administrative rulings in numbers of areas or whether they say um, that with respect to this pill, the, the states can restrict it because of some moral issue. Um, uh, I mean, the latter would be a stunning reversal of even Dobbs, because if you recall, Dobbs was saying, let the states decide. And so if the Supreme Court goes so far as either to undo the FDA finding from decades ago or to suggest that abortion is somehow different than any other pill and the states have a right, you know, and that that it can be banned, even, you know, banned across the country then they will have taken a step really much further than anyone anticipated. You know, I don't know why they have taken the case. Well, you know, the, the, we only have a minute, but the reason I was stunned they took the case because it seems to me that considering, again, my view that politics drives at least the six, if not all nine on the court, I would hazard to say if the impact of the Dobbs case has been as dramatic as it's been even in red states like Kentucky Ohio and, well, Virginia is sort of a purple state, that ruling that uh, Mifepristone cannot be made available would explode on the scene in June 
five months before a presidential election, and I would argue, if anything, would guarantee the defeat of any Republican, who I assume those six want elected, it would be it. So, so it, yet another argument that suggests that if they took it, well, I don't know what it suggests. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know why they. I don't know why they took it. Um, it would affect Massachusetts, by the way. You're not only right, talking that's about a great point. And purple states. They affect. Right. It would affect the availability of right. this drug even here. And if you believe that individual states should be making individual decisions, um, then you cannot ban this drug nationwide. I mean, it would be hypocrisy, but that hasn't stopped them before. Nancy Gertner, enjoy the holiday, the new year, and we'll see you in January. Thanks so much for all your great time here. We appreciate it. Great. Okay, take care. Thank you. Nancy Gertner, retired federal judge, senior lecturer at the Harvard Law School, and, of course, a regular BPR contributor. Coming up, we're going to open up those phone and text lines to everybody but Marjorie. Uh, (laughs) So if you're doing last-minute holiday stuff, if you need a wellness check, if you're scrambling around in Trader Joe's with a bottle of olives and don't know what to do, uh, we're here to help you. Your last-minute gift ideas, your cooking questions, your grab bag issues. We're here at the Boston Public Library. We'd like you to call or text us at 877-301-8970. Jim's answer is always going to be gift cards, I'm going to predict, but we'll figure it out. That's next. You're listening to Boston Public Radio 89.7 GBH. Welcome back to Boston Public Radio. Jim Browdy, Sue O'Connell sitting in for Marjorie. We're live at the library. Streaming at youtube.com slash GBH News, facebook.com slash GBH News. Reminder, BPR will be on our holiday break next week, so no days at the library. We'll return to live radio and the library on January 2nd. We're going to end today's show and our year of broadcasts, giving you a little bit of last-minute holiday advice. Between the two of us, that'd be me and Sue, we have decades of experience buying gifts, getting gifts, messing up the holidays. Uh We thought we'd offer ourselves as the Christmas experts. Who should you tip this year and how much? Is it okay to give a scented candle to that coworker you actually like working with? What do you do when it's the Friday before Christmas, that'd be today, and you've bought nothing for nobody? What's a better gift anyway? Something thoughtful or just cash? Where do you stand on gift cards? I guess Sue and I are sort of your answer people for the last-minute Christmas grab bag on Boston Public Radio. Let me tell you what Ruby and I did for my co-workers and colleagues at NBC10 Boston, NECN Telemundo, and NBC Boston Sports. So every year, we put together a big basket. Uh This year, it was two baskets. And uh, Ruby makes a treat. This year, she made uh, popcorn with white chocolate and M&Ms. And and she puts in a sweet little bag and puts a little little bow on it. And then we go shopping uh, throughout the weeks before Christmas and buy $5 $5 gifts, face masks at Sephora, a uh, ice scraper from Target, a whole variety mm-hmm. of some, some bottles of liquor that are just $5. Mm-hmm. And then we walk around the office and people can pick their own gifts that they would like from oh, us. Oh, that's beautiful. The great Brian Shackman from NECN used to call it the TJ Maxx checkout aisle wow. uh, gift. I think he wasn't trying to insult it, but it was. it is endearing. You could still do that. There's plenty of time to do that. If well, you need I think to take people are a little too stressed to be doing do things so? as organized as that. Marjorie, if you're listening, this is serious. <laughs> you should call in. You know, 
I have changed my position on gift cards. Okay. Thing. Historically, my position Historically. is it is a it is evidence of not giving a damn about mm-hmm. the person to whom you're giving gift cards. And then when I realized I was giving gift cards to yes. a lot of people and didn't want to be self-critical, it provides a far greater range of opportunity for the giftee to do whatever the hell they want with the money. So my uh, uh, position, actually, well, I can't tell you who I did this with, but my position <laughs> is a gift card or cash is fine with a little trinket, like a $5, whatever the hell yes. that thing was. So it shows you put a little thought into yep. the uh, experience, and then you do the gift card or cash. We're fans, and um, my family, of the gift card to a specific thing, like my daughter wants a high-end piece of jewelry, which yeah. none of us are going to buy her. No. So people bought gift cards to that particular store as a oh, contribution toward your high-end jewelry. Love that there idea. That's an excellent idea. So we are here with a decent level of experience and expertise, more experience and expertise. Any questions you have about the holidays, about Christmas coming up, about New Year, what you should be doing, uh, what you should be buying, and all that uh, sort of thing. I do get worried um, about seven days ago when the commercials started saying, uh, for your last minute Christmas shopping, yeah. when I hadn't really started yet. Yeah. Like, are you thought, really not, or is that BS? No, I am. I'm good now. We don't have that many people that we buy for, uh-huh. so it's it's manageable. But I did find myself in a store I never thought I would be Which in. Which is what? Cartier, down, down the That's street. That's not true. It's true. I, I think I got the least expensive thing in there. What is the least expensive it's thing? It's a bracelet. I How think much it, is that? Uh, I don't even want to talk How about it. How much is that? It was less than $2,000. So I found myself Excuse in me. there. Wait a second. Less than less $2,000. Less than $2,000 for a bracelet. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes. You're I'm, really doing well out there at NBC10 <laughs> Boston, aren't like you? Like I said, we don't buy for a lot of people. But they do, they're do. as nice to you even if you're not. If it's not a $20,000 bracelet. Really? Yeah. How about if you decide you were just looking? How nicer are you, they, are you they're to they're them? They're still nice. Yeah. Okay. Let's try Susanna in Providence. We're here to answer any and all of your questions. Welcome to the show, Susanna. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much uh, for putting me on. I didn't expect to be. Well, you're here. Uh, I just had one comment. I did all my shopping yesterday at TJ Maxx in Excellent. two hours. Congratulations. Yeah. And the Pisco is Peruvian, not Chilean. Wow. I was right. I have, yeah, I have to say that. My mother is from Peru. It was Peru first. Chileans tend to register things and get their things in order where Peruvians do not. And they claim Peruvian products consistently. So wow. I just wanted to shout out. Always for, about politics, man. So, Susanna, you, where, let's get back to your original point. Thank you for the Pisco information. I'm sort of affirmed here. So you did all your shopping at TJ Maxx, correct? I did. Okay. Were you, when you heard Sue a minute ago say that you'd be lucky enough to be able to spend less than $2,000 for a bracelet at Cartier, did that inspire you to do anything or no? I didn't actually hear Sue's comment, but yeah. I'm not a Cartier shopper. I'm a, I'm a solid TJ Maxx girl. Yeah. We love you for it, too. I'm sure Thank you, you Susanna. Cartier at TJ Maxx. Merry Christmas, Especially that Cedric. one over in Needham. Yeah. I'm sure you really can. Look at here's somebody, Amber from Worcester. What'd she say? I got my friend at work a pillow adorned with Elliot Stabler's handsome face from SVU. Is that really true? Law and Order. Oh, that's yes. your show? It's hilarious. Is my Elliot Stabler left. the actor or he the was, character? Yes, he's in another Law and Order right oh, now. That's really but yes, wonderful he is to hear. The, he is the, uh, the guy. So there you go. 
Okay, fine. I mean, I'm sorry because I'm going to stick with this. Could you give us like a ballpark on the bracelet or no? It's less than $2,000. And so more that than means $1,999. Is mean, that really true? <laughs> yeah. Is that how true? You think, they, they, how do you think they afford to have those guys standing outside, <laughs> open the doors, dressed up like little And you uh, felt you had to support them? Is that where yeah, you were? Yeah, you know, I like to contribute to small That's local really businesses. beautiful. You know, it's not easy. You know, it's... Listen. By the way, Josh actually has a wonderful idea for Marjorie. Unfortunately, it would disadvantage me. He's watching on YouTube. He said, Marjorie, stop panicking. Just go to Jim's house and take a few of his 70 animal throw pillows to use as gifts. Where are you on the throw pillow issue? I, you know what? I gave up. I, you know, what does that mean? I have been against throw pillows. Mm-hmm. An appropriate number of pillows is great, but mm-hmm. the, the, we now, I live in a house where we have seasonal throw pillows that are changed like four That's or five. I am not kidding. I've just totally, I've clearly given up. So we have um, at least, let me see, one, two, we have a small apartment, and we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight holiday throw pillows right now, which yeah. will be moved out for the Valentine's Day throw pillows. That will then That's be, not really true, I swear, it? my mother's soul. And then we'll be moved out for the spring and Easter throw pillows. Luckily, we take a break over the summer, so we don't have any, you know, Fourth of July uh, pillows. And then we have the Halloween the Thanksgiving, and then the Christmas throw pillows again. That's the most incredible story I've ever heard in my and life. And I have, yes, it's a lot of work. Wow. Yeah, so I'm against them, but surrounded by them. I know, and because it's funny, because what I was going to say, I am pro-throw pillow uh, if they stay where they are. I'm yeah. anti-throw pillow. Did you see Beth Titel's piece a few weeks yes. ago? Anti-throw pillow on the bed. Yeah. Because you know what you have to do? Every time you get you in the off. bed, you have to take them off. And what do you do when you get out of the bed? You have to put them back on. Put them back, exactly. Yeah, and but that a, you have, have a variation on a theme. All the piles of clothing on my floor, I would have to step over in order to get to the bed to put the pillows on. So I'm, I'm, I've, I just give up, Jim. I'm, I've just given up. I okay. just sit at Cartier and hope they have a pillow. So uh, for $19.99. Now, Jill from Watertown text, nice to hear Sue O'Connell on with Jim today. Okay. Thank but you. oh dear, here comes another chestnut from Jim about seasonal tipping. <laughs> Tip often and generously if you can afford to. That's my practice. Merry Christmas and happy holiday to you and everyone on the fabulous thank you BPR team on tipping I didn't bring up tipping no. Jill from Watertown brought mm-hmm. up tipping mm-hmm. where are you on uh, Christmas or holiday tipping I'm so tipping I'm t- I tip everybody I, t- I don't often get the trash collectors just because of yeah. the scheduling and and you know my neighborhood if I left an envelope out it wouldn't go it gone, wouldn't go yeah. to them and yeah. I don't always get my uh, mail carrier but yeah I tip I just keep tipping everybody and why do you do that is that because you're a good soul a moral no, soul I don't want to be judged ser- I want good service and, and I you want to be screwed next year. I, yes, and I also, uh, you know, I, I believe in kind of accumulating soft power. So if I can't make my my hair appointment and I'm going to be 20 minutes late I and this. I call and say I'm 20 minutes they late. They forgive you because of what you did. They forgive me because I've tipped. You're yes. a genius, actually. Yes. Let's go to Paul in Worcester, who's a wonderful gift giver, we should say. And we've been the beneficiary. Hey, Paul, how are oh, you? Paul. Hey, Sue and Jim, how are you? We're, We're excellent. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. So, I know what time um, it is now, thanks to you. <laughs> Oh, great, great. Uh, for the first year ever, I need last-minute gifts because I'm an idiot. Okay. I had my physical in Brookline today and brought my box of pens and ornaments so my doctor could choose. Oh. And then I promptly left them in the exam room and oh. didn't realize until I got home in Worcester that I, left, that I lost them. Luckily, somebody found them, and, I, and they're going to be safe, but there's no way I'm driving back to Brookline. So it's down the basement I go after, right after the culture show and start whipping out pens and ornaments for anybody I've by the way, Paul makes wood pens. Yes. I mean, they're unbelievable. They're gorgeous. So what are you doing? Oh, you're just going to make more. 
I got, yeah, time to make more. Boy, it's like Santa. That's how Santa feels right I, now with the I, elves. I got, I got, yeah. yeah, I got two. I got two clocks being glued up for uh, for future people, and um, but uh, now it's luckily I, I always have enough pen kits ready to go, and the ornaments are easy to do, and I'll, I'll figure it out. And so much for uh, you know watching uh, some crappy movie on TV today. <laughs> Beautiful. Hey, Paul. Uh, happy holiday. Merry Christmas, and thanks for listening and your incredible generosity. I'm going to go home and make some doorstops. Yeah, no, I'm You're not making You're made a I No, I... I, I my, did that when I was in shop when I was My mother in 1974... Not the bookie. Fought, no, That's no, grandma. That's grandma. My mother, Irene May Quinn O'Connell, fought the Revere School Committee to yeah. allow me to take shop because girls, no girls had to take you home You did home act, act and, we, and boys did shop. And I took home... I took shop in seventh grade. Is that grade. true? Yep, and I, w- I was supposed to make a lamp out of wood and I didn't finish it and my mother like left the lamp on a shelf that was broken, saying, "I fought for this. I fought for your right to make this, and well, you didn't beautiful. even finish it." I love that. <laughs> By the way, is this our Hannah who posted this, or another Hannah? I think it's our Hannah, our coworker. I've been working on a cross stitch pattern, whatever that is, for two point five years. <laughs> Said I would gift it this Christmas, but looking at, like it's not going to happen. Again, well, that is actually what is cross stitch? You have any I have idea? no idea. Neither do I. No. Now, let me ask you a question. I want a little advice. Oh, oh, if we I go. were to call in every year in June, this is true. I'm raising my right hand. Yep. I say to Marjorie, you know what I'm going to do this year? <laughs> what are those cakes that everybody hates at Christmas? The bun, the uh, no. the, the, the fruit cakes. Fruit cakes. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, by the way, to make a good fruit cake, I looked it up. I look it up every Christmas because you got to soak it in brandy yeah. or something, and you got to put it in fishnet or something, and it takes like six months to get all brandied up, kind of thing. The only reason I don't do it, and it's not laziness, is I can't. And I mean, this is a serious question: Do people, when you give them a gift like that, like a cake you made yourself? Do they appreciate it and say a lot of thought and energy went into that, or do they think you're a cheapskate? I, I mean that sincerely. I what? don't think that they think. I don't think people think you're a cheapskate. I think I I have seen and have talked to people who are always open and love that you have gone to effort to make something oh. and given it to them. Um, however, however, if it's not good. It's not well, obviously good. if it's not I mean, good. no, but it's a really funny... How do you feel about fruitcake? Um, fruitcake is the bane of existence. Yeah. It's like the worst thing. But you, you really think you could make a good one? I don't know if I could make a good well, one. Well, why don't we try? Why don't I remind you next year? We could get together and do that. <laughs> we go, we'll go to Paul's basement while he's making pens. <laughs> oh, and oh, he's we doing can make pens. some fruitcake and soak some, some, uh, some rum. I really am going to try it. And by the way, let me just say this. While I've trashed fruit... How come we didn't do the fruitcake segment on the show, Jamie? Oh You're in gosh. charge of the Jamie, damn show. Jamie, no tipping, no fruitcake. No, we did do tipping. Oh, we did we do tipping. We did not done fruitcakes, which, and it's obviously too late to do fruitcakes. Let's go to Suzanne in Watertown. We're trying to give advice to people as Christmas nears. Hello, Suzanne. Hi. I'm calling up because I just want to let you know that yeah. I was the first girl. My, me and my a friend of mine, we were the first girls in Lynn to ever take woodshop in mm-hmm. 1972. No. You go. Did you finish so, the lamp? Yeah. Did you make your parents proud, oh, unlike no. me? I made... I made a shelf. No, nobody fought for me. I actually fought for myself. I actually Good. went to the school committee and asked. You Good. did not. Good for you. Um, I, was a, is I that, did. That is great. Mm-hmm. Well, they, okay. Well, they, they kept on saying, like, yeah, go ahead, what? No, you go ahead. Tell the story. It's an excellent story. Oh. I love it. Go ahead. What happened? So, anyway, so I, so I got into woodshop, and I had a friend of mine who's still my friend today. Mm-hmm. I'll be at her house for, for, um, for Christmas Eve. Good. And I said, you're taking woodshop with me. And she goes, I am? And I said, yep. <laughs> and, and I made a shelf 
and it's a great shelf, and I'm actually going to give it to my son, oh. and I'm going to put all miniature. I'm going to put all miniature nips on it, <laughs> to, you know, so it just looks really cool. Because I think nips are going to go away, so I'll buy those as there a collector. And nips anyway, because the environmental that. impact, yeah. right? Because they they yeah, can't yeah, be yeah. recycled you know. or something. Yeah. Right. Well, now so, I feel right. bad well, I didn't finish that lamp. So, Suzanne, let me ask you uh, <laughs> something here. Assuming you and I were fairly close friends. And I gave you a yeah. fruitcake that I had made in June yeah. and let it become brandy to what I don't know what the verb is. How would you feel about that? Okay, so if you made it, <laughs> I made it. I would definitely. Okay, if you made it, I said I made I, it. Okay, I'm old. <laughs> I like Christmas pudding yeah. and I like mince meat. By the way, you have a fabulous I, I like voice. I should yeah. say you have a great radio <laughs> voice. But go ahead, Suzanne. Fruitcake for me is sort of a friend. Go ahead. <laughs> So I would try it. I would try it. But I don't like the green cherries. Oh, you don't so like the Jim, green you know, candy thing in there? What's the point? No, I don't like those. Okay. No, I don't okay. like those. Okay. okay, so Jim, I'm Suzanne. I also make ginger gems. Oh, oh. That, Suzanne, I know yeah. you. I know you are. Anyway, Suzanne, <laughs> yeah. enjoy the holiday. That was a great story. She advocated for herself yes. to be in shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't, and I didn't finish the lamp. And, and by I, the way, boys, I assume now there's not... Oh, look at those green things. What, what are those green? Like jellied something or others? Yeah. That really is the turnoff with the fruitcake. It is a problem. But, you know, the real... What's the name of the company? Can you look this up, Jamie? There's a, Every time we do a <laughs> fruitcake segment, which we did not do because Jamie screwed up and forgot to tell us. <laughs> Happy Holidays. Someone calls in and says the best fruitcake in America is made by some company in Texas. And as soon as we say the Get name right of the that. company in Texas, everybody texts and say it's the greatest fruitcake that ever, uh, well, it didn't live, well, a fruitcake, but the greatest fruitcake of them all. You know what kind of thing? He's looking it up. Like, well, you, you can keep talking while he's looking. That's no, what no, it works I, on I, a talk I, show, you know? <laughs> you keep saying something, I say something. I got it, I got it. And we see how it goes from there. 877 Collin Street Bakery? Is that, is that, that ring a bell? That can't be true. C-O-L-L-I-N. Right. Does anybody know? How many people who are here at the library, if I made you a fruitcake and I gave it to you next Christmas, one woman in the back, yeah, how many people would be happy with it? Okay, that's about 10. How All many right. of you are lying? <laughs> All of you. That's unfortunate. No, it's nice to get the cookie. you like, got to get something else with it, though, Jim. It, I don't think so. You're going to say, look, it, I spent like every week in here... You, rubbing this up for you and, uh, you know. Did you get any, I'm trying to think, did you get any handmade, homemade, handmade? Paul, who we talked to a minute yes, ago, is a really generous that. guy, brought some beautiful handmade things and some great food. I have not, but I'm of. also, you know, it's funny, this is also a question uh, for other folks. I, I'm at the point in my life where all of my peers are retiring and downsizing and moving at NBC 10 no no not those colleagues my my peers oh, my friends, friends. Okay. my friends are yeah. all like well you know we're downsizing so I don't want to give them anything that is going to end up on the yard sale table. we'll give them something they can eat like so a fruitcake <laughs> by the way Collins Street Bakery it's in Corsicana oh, it Texas look at that since 1896 could you, you can't put that up on the screen this like can you we're going to put up it's not that great looking because the things that people hate the candied cherries. What are the green things, by the way? The can- I have what are no they- idea. Are there cherries too? Candied green cherries, cherries really ruin the whole oh, the kind of thing. Wilson Farm in, a- in Lexington, according to another poster, also makes a very good fruit. Wilson cake. Farm has great stuff. Yep, out they're there. very good out there. Sarah Nakar, you're next on Boston Public Radio. What's your deal? 
Hi, thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Um, my husband and I used to be private chefs oh. for a very wealthy gentleman in Southbridge, and we actually made a fruitcake. And how'd that go? Our first year working for him. How'd it go? It went really well. It wasn't six months ahead of time. <laughs> I think it was about three weeks or so. We did soak it in rum. Rum. Um, it said, was really yeah. expensive to make because of all of the candy fruit. They, they were really expensive to buy, but... It tasted really, really good. And, and now my husband, every single year, orders two cakes from Collins Street Bakery. Oh, it is and Collins Street. Thanksgiving and one for Christmas. Um, and they're gone by Easter. And how great is this, I mispronounced it, Collins Street Bakery? How great are the Collins Street cakes? They are really, really good. They're, they're dense. They're really filling. You know, I like dense. It's one of, um, it's one of those foods that people who um, hike the Appalachian Trail like to hike bring with them. Really? Because it just has a lot of calories. But it's heavy. Yeah, yeah, it's it heavy, right? It's like it's a junior's heavy. cheesecake. Heavy. Yeah, yeah. But so, Sarah, how'd the yeah, old rich yeah. guy like the che- the uh, fruitcake? Oh, he loved it. He did. Oh, he loved it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because I think it's because of the rum, Jim. Right. Yeah, that'll <laughs> do it. That'll do it even. That's right. Even if put you enough like in, it doesn't fruit. bake off. So Sarah, you're good, enjoy the you holiday. Know? Thank you very much. We have time for one more, and they're going to have like 30 seconds. Can we take one more fruitcake call back there in uh, Brighton since you're in charge there? Maybe not. We'll see if we can. Maybe we can't. Sarah and her husband made a fruitcake. Collins Street Bakery since 1896 in Corsicana, Texas. Carolyn Manchester, you have 30 seconds. Take them. Hi. Okay. Hi. I'm going to tell you right now, I love fruitcake. Yeah. Buy uh, mixed peel, and you want to use brandy, and you don't have to make it six months before. Okay. A couple will do. Okay. It's plum pudding. If you want to make Christmas pudding, you do that six months early. Okay. But anyway, they're delish. I love it. Perfect. Merry Christmas to you all. And Merry Christmas to you all and to all a good night. Thank you, Carol, very much for your call. next year when I get my fruitcake from you, and I will remind you in September. Well, she said I don't have to do it six months in advance. There's not. Uh, We're done. We're actually done for the year. Not the great of. And Sue, you were fabulous as always. Really, thank you, Sue O'Connell, for being with us. Thank you. Tune in Monday for a special Christmas edition of Boston Public Radio. Some of our favorite conversations from last year, including listen to this rundown: Chef Jacques Pepin. These are all recent, actually. Legendary James Taylor, comedian Chelsea Handler, and historian Heather Cox Richardson, and much more. Our crew is Zoe Matthews, Aidan Connolly, Nicole Garcia, Hannah Loss. Our engineers John Claw Parker, Bill Piacitelli. So on the board today, our executive producer is the great Jamie Bologna. Special thanks to the BPL team, Matty Geyer and Matthew Glover. I also want to thank everybody at the Newsfeed Cafe this year. Karen and her team are spectacular. Not only is the food wonderful, they're incredibly warm and wonderful people. I want to thank David Leonard, the president of the library. He and his staff have been really generous to us. We love this studio. We really love being here. And most importantly, thanking all of you for being so good to Marjorie and me and people who fill in like Sue and Jared and Andrea and other people we're really lucky to have as guests in the social. Uh, so thank you all. Stay tuned. 89.7 at 2 o'clock, as you know, the Culture Show's Week in Review with the threesome. You are Sue O'Connell. This is when you say, I'm Sue O'Connell. I'm Sue O'Connell. And I say, I am Jim Browdy, because I am. <laughs> you are. Marjorie, if you're listening, we miss you. Have a wonderful Christmas. Have a wonderful Christmas to all of you. Thank you for coming. See you in the new year. Thank you.